Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hello, welcome everybody to another episode of Pod's Trickland. I'm your host, Shwini Poo, and this is episode 253. I am joined, as always, by my co-host, Stacy. That is at StacyPat89. Stacy, how are you doing on this uh, frigid Monday afternoon? It's a victory Monday, baby. Yes, it is a victory got, Monday. Uh, got a victory against the Kings, and um, what's a king to a giant? But we've also got a victory over the Giants, you know, I got... 48 between 22 and 48 reasons to be to be pretty happy too so uh it is a victory monday um neither the giants or the jets fans listening to this podcast can say the same but but we're we're on the other side of both of those right we can actually uh you know frenemy high five there (laughs) uh we can we can celebrate that uh okay by the way uh yeah, I think he should be fine. Uh, they took him to the hospital after for precautionary measures. So that was a I'm fucking a, hit, man. That was a hit. yeah. I'm I'm assuming he'll probably it probably has a cracked rib. I would be surprised if he has a broken rib, though. Maybe he does. Um, I thought it was kind of insane that he came back in. Like, did you see the way his body shook after that? Like, man. Yeah, I did, and then I also saw like Jets. There were Jets fans like complaining, like, "Why isn't that unnecessary roughness?" And it's just like, dude, shut up. It was up. a like, clean hit. Like, yeah, yeah, you can't. That was just a, a massive fucking. I mean, I feel bad for White, but yeah, that, that wasn't illegal. Yeah, it, it was. It was a legal hit. Um, I don't know. If you're a Jets fan complaining about the refs after after yesterday, like, I really don't know what to tell you. Um, well, I guess all I can tell you is you're still in pretty good position for the wild card. So. Should be fine. All right. Anyways, before we get started, I have to do make a couple of announcements. The first being the Strickland has an Instagram. So check that out. Give us a follow on there. We are dropping content, uh, new content, original content on our Instagram account. That is at the strict.land on Instagram. We also have a YouTube channel where you may be watching this podcast right now. Uh, that is great. If you could hit like and subscribe, that would help us out. Help us get to our goal of a thousand subscribers. There's also a Strickland Patreon, which you can subscribe to. That comes with a multiple, a number of different tiers. Six dollar tier that gets you access to Pod Strickland that I do every Friday with Prez. You also get access to the Strickland mailbag that comes out every other week, hosted by Drew Steele, aka Doug the Doug Bag. You also get access to the Strickland Discord, where the conversation never stops. Certainly has not stopped over the past week, as the Knicks keep winning games. There are further tiers. There's a $9 tier that gets you access to Strickland Roll, where I rant and rave about the Knicks even more. Uh, just dropped one over the weekend that I thought was really good with Dan Favali. So check that out. Uh, also, and much more importantly, you get access to wonderful weekly articles by Jack Huntley and Matthew Miranda, two of the best in the business. There are further tiers. There's a $15 tier, $30 tier, $50 tier, and $100 tier. Those come with a variety of additional benefits like listening in on watch parties. Or, sorry, listening in on pod recordings, merchandise discounts, and even potentially co-host and podcast alongside yours. Truly, one day, whether you choose to subscribe or not, none of this would be possible without you. So, without further ado, let's get started. Um, <clears throat> the Knicks have won four in a row. Uh, I think the last time we talked, they had 
just beaten Cleveland. So they had just started the win streak. So they beat Cleveland on last Sunday. They beat the Hawks on Wednesday. They beat the Hornets on Friday. And then they beat the Kings last night, um, Sunday evening. First of all, I just got to say, I would love it if the Knicks could stop playing 6 p.m. games on Sunday. It's really ruining my football viewing. Um, but if they're going to keep winning, it's fine. Fun. This is a fun game. I thought, uh, obviously, Brunson got hurt. Seems like he avoided any major injury, sprained ankle, so we'll see how long it takes him to get back in the mix. Julius, we will get to, uh, got himself ejected in a very stupid way. Honestly, after a, a hell of a game, we should say. After. Yeah, after a hell of a game that he didn't complete. A little bit concerning to me, but we'll talk about that later. Um, but like, I thought this was a really fun game even before that. I thought it was a fun game after that. Seeing all these young guys come in, defend their asses off, and hold off that lead. I mean, the fact that the refs were atrocious, like absolutely atrocious. I thought they killed the Knicks yesterday. And even then, they win by 13 points. It never got below. I think they it was a double-digit game from like the second quarter on. It, they yeah, never, it never got, got below 10 or yeah. even like 11 or 12. I think it was 11. 11 was the closest they got. Uh, it, it was a physical, not even a physical, but it was just like a defensive masterclass in a lot of ways. And I know Darren Fox didn't play. And Okay, fine. But, but they like, beat the Cavs with that yeah, lineup. So. Yeah, they beat the Cavs 106-95 on Friday night. The Kings did with the same lineup. They actually closed the game, as Breen and Clyde mentioned, on a 19-0 run, I believe. So They um, mentioned that about a thousand times every time yeah. the Knicks started to, to falter a little bit. Right. And so I just think, like, Look, I know there are people like, oh, well, you got to give Tibbs credit. And, you know, all these people crapped on him for so long and look at what he's doing. And that's fine. We can give Tibbs credit. But, like, I'm sorry. I'm just not going to get to the point where, like, I'm, like, he's doing the thing that we were suggesting they should do last year and that we should do to start this year. And he's finally getting the results for it. Um, turns out that you play your best high-impact defenders and your defense gets a lot better. Who knew? Um, and, like, I, I will give him credit for the fact that he's actually been willing to try shit and adjust and adapt this year, at least with his rotations and lineups. He does deserve credit for that because that's not something that he has shown his first two years with the Knicks, at least. Um, and so he does deserve credit for that. But, like, let's not act like these guys are... It, this isn't that big of a revelation to me. This is what I like suspected would be the case and what the data suggested would be the case if they got more minutes. And I think the really encouraging thing about this run they're on is like you look at guys like like RJ Grimes, like just just those four dudes in general, but like RJ Grimes, Quickly, and Deuce, none of them is even shooting threes well yet. Like not a single one. At some point they're gonna go on a, on a heater. RJ has been, right? A little bit better? A little bit, but it's like, when's the last time you remember him making two threes in a row? Yeah, that's true. Like, it's just like, him and quickly, it's like they'll make one, miss next two, make one, miss one. Like, it's it's just, they can't get on a on a streak. But like, you know that's coming for one, for, for them, for Grimes, for Deuce. Those four guys, like, they're in the rotation, they're going to keep playing. They're going to start connecting at some point, at least for a stretch. And it's like, you combine that with the defense, like, yeah, I know opponents are missing threes. Guess what? They miss threes when they actually, like, feel the pressure, when they feel you physically, defensively. That hadn't been there all year. It's amazing how adding one perimeter defender into the rotation in a, on top of having Grimes and quickly locks things up even more. 
And I don't think it's a coincidence that you're getting better defensive effort from guys like RJ and Randall specifically over the last few games um, with that. And, and not just because, look, I think effort begets effort. So when you see other guys around you competing, you're naturally going to raise your floor too. But I also think it's a matter of like, they're being covered up for more. And that wasn't there to begin the season. Um, and we'll, I, I want to talk a little bit about like the specific qualities of quickly and Deuce and Grimes. But I mean, I, I just think like, I literally, if you told me this was the rotation for the rest of the year and Obi come, when Obi comes back, obviously he would take the Sims minutes or whatever. Um, shout out Jericho Sims at the floor, by the way. I really like, I know people hate that. Hasn't that hasn't been a disaster. I yeah. I kind of love it defensively. It, like, defensively, it works. The question is spacing, obviously. Yeah, but. Uh, he's pretty awesome. Like he's pretty awesome on defense. Um, yeah, like, like, I mean, I think his ideal defensive position might be the four because he's probably home, little... baby. What? Bring Porzingis home. <laughs> well, yeah, that too. But like, he is. I mean, he's sized like a four. It's just he's freakishly athletic and uh, pretty yeah, strong. He's just. Amazing. But so so he like is the is a five, but. Um, like, put him on... Is there a four he can't guard? Put him on Evan... Okay, there is a four he can't guard, but fours that aren't aliens. Um, so, it would, yeah, be, it would like, be cool to see him defend Julius Giannis. Randall. Or, or Giannis. But Julius Randall would be... I don't think player. Julius Randall's an alien. That's not who I was talking yeah. about. But uh, I would... I mean, why not throw him against Giannis? Like, I'd love to see that. Like, he'd probably get cooked like everyone else does. But um, I, I don't think there's physical shortcomings there. Um, we, should ask, uh, we should ask Bam, like... If Randall's the hardest guy he's ever had to cover, yeah, I mean, well, we we can <laughs> we can. Um, no, but I, I was just I, gonna say real quick, like, like when Obi comes back, like you know he'll take those Sims minutes. If this is whatever the team is for the rest of the year, even with the annoying sometimes minutes distributions of Tom Thibodeau, like you'd have to largely be. I I would be pretty fucking happy wherever the chips fell at that point. Because yeah, I mean, there, this is really one, all I want. This is well. You're and you and I are not quite as high on Cam Reddish as some of the other. That is a disappointment to me. That it, I think that he played well and him being out of the rotation. We can talk about that later. We don't need to harp on it. Um, I do think there's been some excellent points made, but um, but there's a few things you touched on that I kind of want to dive into a little bit deeper. Um, I have definitely a rant ready to go about why people thinking that Deuce is basically Frank Nilekina on offense are extremely misguided without even thinking about his defense. But we'll get into that. I want to touch more about uh, what you were saying about, you know, Randall and RJ being more engaged on defense, you know, playing with McBride, playing with Quickly, playing with Grimes. <clears throat> and I think that's, that's I mean, it, it sounds like some Disney movie shit, right? Like, oh my God, like the curmudgeon you know, star player, like his heart grows two sizes once he gets to play with with the the new young fun player, um, but um, and sees him you know being inspired or whatever. But I think there's some truth to that. I think as you mentioned, like covering up. I, I think that when it comes to covering up, I think that I don't see it as much with Randall and RJ as I see with Mitch actually. Because a lot of the criticisms of Mitchell Robinson have been that his mobility isn't quite what it was when he was younger. Uh, you know, he's put on some weight. I think that he's better than he was, like, certainly at the beginning of last year. But, um, you know, like, he's still, a, he is ideally probably a drop defender right now. 
not really a guy you want to switch on bigs, but I think the, the margin for error for him has been reduced so much because Deuce and Grimes basically get over every screen. Um, the only guy I've seen effectively screen Quentin Grimes was actually Capella, which I think that Hawks game, as weirdly as it sounds, like we blew them out and Mitch had a good game. I had developed a very newfound um, appreciation for Quinn Capella. I mean, every time I watch him play, the guy is really good. But, um, you know, especially last game, like, that was the most I've seen Brunson struggle. He's in a little bit of a funk right now. But his protection and just the screen, like, Grimes was getting caught on screens, which was to me like, wow. Um, but, you know, I think it's it's made Mitch more effective because he has a clearer idea of what he has to do compared to, you know, when he was defending pick and rolls with Evan Fournier, Jalen Brunson. Um, that I just talked about, but my, I guess my question to you is like, you said that some of it is just them covering up for the mistakes that Randall or Barrett or even Mitch might make. And some of it is just, you know, like the intangible inspiration aspect. If you have to assign a percentage to each, and like, obviously, this, it's very tough to get a very objective answer on this. I mean, there is no, you know, uh, there's no way to really completely assign this but how much do you think it is of, of both of those things of like covering up and then just intangible improvement intent well like the inspiration aspect let's call it that right i mean i would say the effort's just been better i don't know why i, I and it, it might not be that it might be a coincidence the effort has improved overall once deuce came in um because like i didn't think cam was terrible defensively I did think that he's like. I think the the hard part for me was like, there's the idea of what Cam Reddish can be on defense versus what he actually is, and the thing is, he'll give you flashes. So at times you'll feel like, oh my god, it's coming around, but then you zoom out, look at everything in totality, it's not quite there. He definitely made strides this year on defense, like for sure. There's no question about that, um, and strides offensively too. But like. It was still not leading to a collective team-wide plus improvement on that end, really. And, like, you just... I think most of it, I would honestly say say most of the improvement is probably just down to the fact that... So I was thinking about this actually today. Um, Some of it is the opponents we have played are not suited to exploit some of the size mismatches that are, this rotation will cause. We're playing especially, one that is in a couple of days, but yeah. Yes, uh, especially on the wing. I don't know. I, mean, I don't even know if Chicago really is, but like, well, DeRozan is that. Like, I am. I am a little bit worried about if we play McBride on DeRozan. Like, I'm. A I mean, bit you'll get some that. weird minutes matchups, but like, I, I think even with the starting lineup, let's say Brunson is healthy to go, just because it's easier to talk about it that way. Let's say Brunson is healthy to go. Like I still think you're fine defensively because you put you can put Grimes on whichever one you prefer to put him on Levine or DeRozan. Brunson can hide on Io, who basically is on like seven usage. Like you're, I think you're still fine there. But teams that like, and you're, you're fine with RJ on. Yeah, I think RJ is fine on the. He's played well enough against Chicago multiple times. I'm not that worried about. He's that. good on DeRozan. Yeah, but yeah. I, I think, I think the. I'm curious to see when a team has a good primary ball handler and a good wing scorer, how we operate against that. And we, we, the last time we faced someone who was both of those things, 
uh, we got demolished in the second half against Dallas, right? So yeah, and to be fair, that was like a that was a really weird game. That was whatever. Um, and then I mean, and to be to 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 be fair, against Cleveland, they had both Garland and Mitchell. So but and not, to your point, they're not a they're not wings. They're not, but I, I think the, the kind best... of guys that you would um, expect not expect you can't expect. I mean, they miss shots too. They have to miss shots mm-hmm. for it to work. But yeah, like they're not. Um, but I mean, how many teams have a great wing score and the well, yeah, that's, that, right? That and that's and, and and the other thing too is like it's not even so much like necessarily the specifics, but it's like if a team has two really good ball handlers, you might be in trouble. And like Cleveland had two, but we were still able to sustain that potentially. And you're like you pointed out, like the size mismatches are not as significant, so like you can get away with Deuce and quickly bring a bunch of minutes there. Um, but like. Boston, I think, is yeah. Good. Boston would be a problem, and you know how many other teams are there? Maybe Clippers, if everyone is healthy. Clippers, maybe the Pelicans. I, they're just weird. I don't even know what like how to match. Like I don't even know if you should try to be matching up with them in some ways. Um, Milwaukee, like, I guess. Yeah, I'm, Portland, arguably, because like when Dame and Simons are going, and then they have Jeremy Grant. Like that's a weird one. But like the the point is like. Yes, we haven't maybe faced some opponents that can exploit some of the deficiencies in the current rotation, but like the fact is, they're defending at such a high level that what is exposed even mean? Like, are they gonna? They're gonna have an average, average defense, yeah. right? It's like you mean an average defensive team instead. Like, so I think a lot of it just has to do with what value you're getting now out of like. There's a value in having your playing three perimeter defenders at least one of them is on the floor at every point during the 48 minutes often you're playing two and now you're getting stretches where you're playing three right with with iq i, I think and, i think and what you're what you're bringing up also is like it's if you could envision a team of like 5 10 5 11 elite shutdown corners right in, in football and they're just elite at press coverage they like are always in the right place but if they p- play a team with a couple of six four guys, right? They yeah, can you get may be able to jump all. The, yeah, you might so, be able to jump them. But like, that's also like, there's very few offenses that just can do that all the time and win just consistently like that, right? Yeah, it's so. it's not it's not sustainable to play that way. Um, but like, yeah, I mean, I, I think so. I would say most of it is about just personnel improvement, and also it helps that. Mitch has gotten back, and he's looked really, really good outside of that weird Dallas game for a while now. He's been really good since he got back from his injury. So I think that helps. I don't know if Hartenstein is getting better, but I will say I think defensively at least, that look with him and Sims, it seems to mitigate some of the defensive rebounding issues with Hartenstein. And so even if the offense struggles, like you can hold serve, and that might be enough. Um, it also mitigates some of his perimeter mobility issues. Yeah, right? yeah, so. yeah, hundred percent. So, like, I think there's value to that, and yeah, like, and then you know, maybe because you know you're seeing Grimes fight and dive and all this shit, and you're seeing Deuce give up his body for the team, and you're seeing quickly, and like maybe seeing that gets more out of RJ, gets more out of Randall. Not to the point that they're good defenders or great defenders or anything, but they're just not actual sinkholes in your defense. I mean, RJ got back cut yesterday, but I think he got back cut like once. And then there were people like, I, I saw people like crying about him not boxing out. And it's like, dude, he literally played the entire second half. If he didn't box out 
Keegan Murray on a possession or something. Like I just I just can't kill him for that tomorrow yesterday. I, I just can't do it. And I think he's been rebounding better recently anyway, like actually getting contested boards and shit. So um yeah, is he gonna get back cut? Will he not box out a couple times a game? Probably. Probably will. But like you have to live with that to an extent if he's giving you general solid defensive play where you're not she's not just getting literally attacked and exposed by opposing offenses. Same for Randall. You know, was Randall perfect defensively yesterday? No, there were a couple of possessions where he lagged behind his man. He got hit by a screen, you know, sure. Yeah, the box out take, just as an aside, I've been really impressed with Julius Randall of late on both ends. <laughs> the dude doesn't box out. And I think there's two issues, right? There's like one, the tendency that every basketball player has when the ball goes up, you look to the rim. So there's so many issues, and I've killed him for this before, but maybe it's not just an effort thing. Uh, so, I'll, I'll, you know, like, there's been times where he'll just look up and his guy just walks around him and gets to the rim because he won't put a body on him. And then there's been times where, like, he thinks he's boxing out. Benji Ritholz has called this out a couple times. And it's like he'll put his hand behind him to, like, kind of just feel the dude and, like, keep... But that's not boxing out. Um, the second one, I think, is a little bit more egregious. But I think that, like, it's particularly frustrating with Julius Randle. It's like, dude, you're a big fucking guy. If you committed yourself to boxing out, like, that guy is not getting the rebound. And when you're playing with Mitchell Robinson, that's all you need, really, right? And even guys like Quickly and all that. Um, I don't know. I mean, with Randall, it's always how much of it is effort, how much of it is just focus, how much of it is just technique, right? Um, but um, I just want to call that out. I was like, if he just – forget the defensive attention. Forget the, like, not great help defense. If he just committed to boxing out, man, that would help the Knicks because he's very capable of being, like, elite at that. Yeah, no, I 100% agree. But um, yeah, like I, I would say that most of it, you just have to credit Grimes and quickly and, and Deuce. Um, and Mitch, to be honest, I think those four guys are really pushing the defensive ceiling of this team and the floor of the team a lot higher. Uh, I believe over the last four games, teams are shooting less from three, shooting less from the corners, getting less open and wide open threes than they had been previously. Um, you could see yesterday, Kevin Herter has been on a heater all year. He was not comfortable at all. Yep. He was. He's really... also been a thorn in the Knicks side when he, even when he's in Atlanta. So yeah. So um, I I was just really really impressed with everything about their defense yesterday. Uh, I was I, gonna yeah go ahead. Well, I I was gonna say I, I kind of want to talk about Deuce and the shooting a little bit, but um, before that, if there's anything else we want to talk about. Uh, I mean, we can go for it. I, I'm not really that worried about his shooting. Like, he's played, what, about 150 minutes or something this year? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's the threes aren't falling. There's a few things I want to call out, though. Number one, when you uh, – look, we we watched Frank Milikina, right? I We all wanted more Frank minutes. Um, I don't think this is the same situation because Frank would get the ball, he would look, pause, and he'd – even when he was more confident in his shot, he would look, pause, oh man, do I really have to shoot it? Okay. And then he would shoot. And even now, he's become a better shooter in Dallas. Deuce is averaging more three-point attempts per 100. Because what... I, I'm curious to your thoughts, because like when you see Deuce get the ball on kickouts, he misses a lot, yes. But there's no hesitation. Uh, the guy gets it. The form looks good to me. Um... And he just pulls. And, you know, the, the shots haven't been falling. Um, but 
I would be remiss. But there, a, you know, I think it's less harmful when the when if you look at there's not it's not like teams are giving him the Andre Roberson, you know, uh, treatment. Right? Teams are still closing out pretty hard on Deuce. Nobody believes Deuce is just um, Rajon Rondo or something. Um, but um, you know, the other thing is, um, you know, his track record literally everywhere else. And I know people are going to be like, well, college is college, G League is G League. His track record everywhere else is not a good shooter, but an excellent shooter. Uh, shot over 40% from three as a sophomore at West Virginia. Not a huge sample size, but look at the shots he was taking. They were all basically pull-ups. He was a really good mid-range pull-up shooter. Uh, in the G League last year, I think he shot like 48% from three. This year, he's like at 41%. Um, you know, it's just... It's very difficult to believe he isn't a good shooter. Grimes, I'm not even going to entertain that. The people, I just saw somebody call him Quentin Nilakina. Like, bro, um, let's not let's not even talk about his playmaking, right? Uh, the guy can shoot. Uh, I do want to talk about Quickly's kind of offensive. Uh, I will call it a regression at this point. I haven't been that happy with his offense this year, uh, but we can talk about that afterwards. Um, but yeah, like, I mean, am I wrong on this? I mean, do you see? Like the fact, like, does it seem like McBride is really confident in his shot to you? Like, am I reading this the wrong way? Uh, I don't know. I wouldn't say he's. I think he's fine. Like when you kick it out to him, he's at three. He's not going to necessarily pass that up, even if he does. Or like you know, there's a few times he might swing it to another person, but it's not like. It but when he shoots, just... it's usually like a confident. You know. Yeah, not... when he shoots, it's fine. I think he just doesn't play with confidence offensively a lot of times. Like, he looks... Not even... I don't even know if confidence is the right word, but it's like, he doesn't look comfortable yet. Tentative, of, I think, is the word. I yeah, would. he's, like, kind of like, oh, should I dribble here? Should I, like, try to do something off the dribble? Am I allowed to do that? Or should I just give it to RJ? Should I just give it to Quickly? Should I just give it to Grimes? Uh, I think you just gotta play him more, and he'll get out of that. But, um, it's fine. Like, he, you know, that's... He's played 526 total minutes so far in his career. Um... That's not enough to like. I, I, anybody writing off the shooting and offense in general, I think, are really, really off. Uh, I think he's actually. Well, I, I do, I do worry about him ever being like a full time point guard. I don't think he ever will be. I've never. Well, I, I so out of, out of West, I was a huge fan of McBride's out of the draft. I loved, he was my favorite pick in that draft. Um, that the Knicks made, I would have taken him at 19. Um, the, um, but one thing is that West Virginia played with two bigs, and he settled for a ton of pull-ups, and I thought his handle looked fine. You know, he's a good athlete. He has, um, you know, he, he posterized Kate Cunningham um, in college. Uh, not to say that that's the be-all and end-all of how you should judge draft prospects, but the athleticism didn't seem to be an issue. Um, I just always felt with better context, he'd be able to get to the rim and the paint more, and we just haven't seen that. We haven't seen that burst. Uh, maybe it'll come but um, but that's the one thing that I'm a little bit. Everything else is well. The shooting, I thought he'd be better, but that's a different thing. The defense has been, I think, even better than I expected. Uh, that's the one thing where I was like, now it's probably more in the Javon Carter to like Patrick Beverly realm than like where I thought he could maybe be like one day a Marcus Smart type, right? Like that's probably the only. Yeah, which I mean, if you get Pat Beverly at pick thirty six, that's pretty good. But yeah. Um, it's, 
I don't know. I, I'm just not really like I've seen him. I didn't didn't watch him much in college. I watch, you know, he's played 526 minutes in the NBA. I've probably watched all of those. Uh, still not a lot. The only thing I feel really confident about saying about him is that he's a really good defender, and I think he can pass pretty well. Like not amazing passer, but I think he's got good. Yeah, he had an eight to one assist turnover ratio last last year. He had six assists against Atlanta. Like he's um, even without really accessing the paint that much. So, yeah, I think he's just got to. He was a, he was a quarterback in high school. Yeah, he's got to be a little bit more assertive. But I'm not that worried about the passing part of it. Um, shooting, like, look, it looks fine to me. He has weirdly shot like shit from the free throw line. I mean, he's only taken twenty free throws. He's twelve to twenty. So I, mean, I don't know what to make of that. But like. You know, he's got to make, he's got to just make some shots because he's not doing a whole lot else offensively. Like his playmaking is nice, but the way he's playing right now, it's more like secondary playmaking off of stuff that other guys are creating. And then that, you know, Which I think it's fine for him to get minutes on this I, team. I'm totally fine with that. Ceiling. Yeah. yeah, I'm totally fine with that. Not a problem. Um, but yeah, like, uh, I, I don't know. The shooting, people are going to say what they want to say. People are going to be, they're going to get angry about it, whatever. I, I think. You just keep playing him right now. Uh, he's giving you a lot defensively. That clearly is I mean, they're, they're, the team. And, and, and while we're talking about the offense, right? <laughs> I said this to you before. They're averaging 19 turnovers for 100 possessions with McBride on the floor. 13 with him off. And if you tell me that doesn't match the eye test, please like send me the number of some optometrist. I will pay for you to get a fucking appointment. Because, man, does that match the eye test, right? Um. Yeah, they've been they've been turning teams over a shit ton uh, with him on the floor. Um, and by the way, on the free throw point, seventy nine percent free throw shooter in college on a pretty healthy sample. So. Yeah, their defense their defensive rebounding is a lot better with him on the floor. The biggest problem right now with him on the floor is the offense just goes to shit because he really doesn't do much right now other than shoot kickouts. That's got to improve. But I, also, but I mean, I mean, how much? It also seems to me like, and I don't know, me and you have had these conspiracy theory arguments about like quickly and Tibbs, but it seems like there's an inordinate amount of offense that runs through McBride when quickly's on the floor, and it's. Just, I don't like it. I don't like it at I all. I don't like that at all. Like it's, it doesn't play to either. That's that's why I don't agree with this whole quickly offensive regression thing. His he doesn't have a like. There's no consistency to his role. His role is like, he, like it's so stupid. Like Deuce will bring the ball up the floor, and like his handle is not tight. Yeah, it's not where it needs to be for an NBA point guard. So it takes him, you know, like it'll take him like he brought it up one, on one possession. He brought it up on one possession yesterday against Davion, who is like a really good on-ball defender, and you could tell like he was not comfortable. It took him about 6 seconds to get it across half court and then another 3 or 4 seconds before he even like organized the set. And it's like and 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 like when he does it, then he swings the ball to quickly and it's like, okay, well now you've got like 12 seconds on the shot clock. And it's like, and then so then it ends up being people are like, oh, quickly just jacking up shots, and it's like, you that's, didn't that's run not, anything. But so so on quickly, right? Here's my problem with him is definitely not that he's not jacking up. It's not that he's jacking up shots. It's very much actually the opposite. So as a rookie, okay, but that no, that's on Tibbs. Like so this is my point. You can't have this insane emphasis on why was why is quickly not a point card to Tibbs. What is the primary reason for that? Uh, pain pressure. Yeah, does doesn't get into the paint enough. Doesn't get enough shots at the rim. Doesn't put enough pain pressure at it. What is he? What is he overdoing this year? What is the thing that he's overdoing this year? 
Honestly, just not shooting, actually. I right, wouldn't even say paint pressure. No, no because, I wouldn't say he's overdoing I, it. But I think he's absolutely overdoing it. And he's not. He's passing up open threes to drive into the paint. And half the time, he might not shoot it. He might end up just circling around and kicking it out to somebody. But he's not. He's passing up on shots that he should be taking to drive into the paint. And, like, is that all on Tibbs? No, I don't think so. I think some of that is, like, yeah, he's just got to figure it out and have better decision-making. But I think part of that is like him trying to prove, like, oh, look, like I can yeah. get in the paint too. So I, I, I agree with this that. thing, and I can do that. And like, I want to show off, like, I added muscle in the summer, and I want to show I'm a better finisher and play make for other guys and shit. And it's like, look, he did I, have one nasty finish last year. Yeah, and like that stuff is fine. And like, like I, I'm just not gonna go anywhere near offensive regression to the point because he's still like this year already. This we've already seen this this year. He went from backing up Brunson. To okay, now you're gonna play next to Rose, but you're not the point guard. Rose is the point guard, and this and then he di- he just literally didn't play point guard for like however long Rose is in the rotation because when Rose would sit, Brunson would come in. Brunson's obviously the point guard, and he's on the floor. Okay, and then you got this new rotation going on now where like he's playing next to Deuce, and it's like ostensibly he is the point guard, but for some reason, unlike half the possessions. Deuce brings it up and then just swings it to him anyway. Like, I just, I'm not, the fact that he hasn't cratered, like that he's just not cratering and he's still massively improving us when he's on the team. I'm not even, I'm not even entertaining the idea of of offensive regression. I think he's been jerked around so much earlier this season after he's been jerked around for two years. And the fact that he still keeps a positive attitude, still manages to find a way to be a plus impact player, massive plus impact player, uh, in whatever role that he's being asked to perform in is a credit to him, and it is not something I'm really even considering as offensive regression. If anything, I would say that it shows a level of malleability that many other players in the team don't have. Um, I, I do think there's malleability there. I think the context is important to note. His role hasn't been consistent. But here's so As a rookie, he took 12.2 three-point attempts per 100. Last year down to 11, this year down to um, 8. And it's interesting because in college, he also only took 8.3 three-point attempts for 100. Um, I don't think he views himself as a, certainly not a three-point shooting specialist, right? But I do think he views himself as a true three-level guard. Uh, And I think he's trying to establish himself as, as that. I think it's fair to speculate, you know, how much of what we've seen from his rookie year till now is Tibbs like getting in his ear and saying, you know, I don't want you shooting from fucking the logo, like with 18 seconds left on the shot clock, even if it's a good look in transition. He was doing that a lot as a rookie. I don't think I've seen that in a long time. Uh, the, the one that comes to mind is against the Clippers where the Knicks were making a comeback and he cut it to four, uh, with a logo three, um, you know, as a rookie. Um, so, you know, but, that decrease is concerning to me, um, or at least it's it makes me ponderous. Concerning might be too strong a word. Uh, and with the paint touches, his assist rate has actually gone down since last year too. Um, you know, and the turnovers have not really gone down either. Um, so he's doing a great job of getting the line. His two point efficiency has been really legitimately good. He's a he is a good paint player now which if you told me that was going to be the case when he came out of Kentucky, as high as I was, I probably wouldn't have believed. But I think he needs to start jacking. He needs to, you know, I get the context. I get that it may be not his fault. 
I mean, uh, but like one way or the it's, other, it's part. It's part. It's Arch taking more threes. It's That's everything. It. Everything is always a player's fault to an extent. Like it, it's not like you can just be like, well, no, all of this is like time if they, to go. Like he's but doing like, a good job off screens. Like if they go under, he's gonna pull it. But like in transition, bro. Like if you got Deuce and fucking no Randall and no RJ on the floor, pull it, man. Like if they're giving you space, like you're you are a shooter. You shot thirty nine percent as a rookie. You know you can shoot. Just take the shot. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how much the assist rate is indicative of a regression. Um, he has the same amount of potential assists this year per game as he did last year. I think he's basically playing. That's the same interesting. So, do you think he's missing that he's just hitting guys who are missing shots? I mean, we're the what the worst three point shooting team in the league or something. Like, where weren't we down there last year? I guess less. No, 40. we were like we were like eleventh or twelfth last year at three point percentage. Okay. So that's a massive drop off. I don't know. I, I don't. I'm. I just quite frankly, like, I really don't think that I see any regression. Right. I see what you did there. Yeah. I, I think he's. If anything, I would say his process seems a little bit muddled because he has more options available to him. Like the fact that he is better in the paint is a big thing. So, like, I think he's having some issues with like figuring out. Okay, I should pull up from three. Okay, I should get into the paint. And then on top of that, I think that he does have it in his head. Like, I need to get into the paint more because like that's my avenue to getting more minutes under Tibbs, maybe. Like, I, I really think that's part of it. Or not even about minutes, but, like, to prove, like, see, like, I, I can do this thing. Um, and this is not just Tibbs' minutes, but um, if he can prove that he's a point guard, uh, you know, that means dollars in the next yeah, year. Yeah, yeah, So I think I think there's a lot of stuff going on. But, like, I, I don't think any of this is regression. I think he's fine. Um, he'll probably go on a heater in like a week or two and everyone will be well that, that, that's another thing i wanted to bring up because when's the last time we saw quickly everything click for we have seen one stretch where everything seemed to quick to quick <laughs> to click for quickly on offense and that was um that was then after all-star break last year right mm-hmm. coincidentally he was less worried about getting pulled right rose was shut down for the year well to this um, point like like just just to this point like Yesterday was just another asinine substitution thing from Tibbs. Like, he took quickly played nine minutes in the first half. For no, like, there was no reason to only play him nine minutes. It, it does, and he was playing well, right? Like, he hits a three, makes a layup, has a layup or floater, whatever, ruled out because it came right after the end of first quarter buzzer. He had another, I think he made another layup after that. And then he, Set up like he set up with three. Like he he was playing well. The team went on a massive run while he was in. Not saying that he was keying the whole thing, but like he was part of this successful group unit that made this run. That's that basically. I mean, that offense ultimately won us the game, right? Like that stretch where they took out the lead. The Kings were never able to get back into it. And it's just like you pull him. He plays nine minutes. I thought Deuce played seven minutes. I, I don't know what the fuck game Tibbs was watching in the first half that he felt that those guys couldn't play more. But it's like, how, what is that, what, I don't, I don't know what message that sends to him. I don't know what he's supposed to take out of that. He wasn't yeah, going mean, to, he wasn't going to play 20 minutes last night if Brunson didn't get her and Randall didn't get ejected. He wasn't going to play. Do you think he would be better off taking more threes? Yeah, absolutely. I think he would. But like, I also don't know what the hell is being told to him. So I, I think my, my hope is that now that there is no Brunson, like he's going to get 30 minutes. Is that fair to say at this point? I, I, have, I have no idea. 
I, I wish I could say that. Like, I, I Rose is. Gonna, I tried doing the math. There's no way to keep Rose out of the rotation unless you include Cam, which I think they're more committed. So I think Rose is going to play. Uh, if Rose plays 30 minutes, that would. But I, I think that even when Rose is healthy, it was. It seemed like quickly was at least on par with him. Probably prioritized a little bit more than we're willing to admit over Rose. Um, and with that level of freedom, I am curious. And with the fact that, you know, he's not going to be able to play with, with other playmakers. He's not going to be able to play with Brunson. So in those minutes, if he's empowered more and he doesn't have to worry about getting pulled, what I'm hoping to see is that that is kind of a catalyst for him to just ideally go like full Anthony Simons. But if not that, then at least what we saw post the All-Star break last year, right? Because, um, because I just, I just think we need to see it. And like, I'm not judging quickly on whether he's a positive impact player. And it's fair for people to say, well, look, he's taking less threes. You tout his net rating and is on off all the time. Maybe him taking less threes is better for the offense. I agree with that a little bit, except for the fact that this year is the first year that the offense has been notably worse, uh, in terms of offensive rating with quickly on the floor. That was not the case either his first two years. And I think some of the inconsistency with his role um, was still some, there. Some of those lineups just haven't, like, Deuce doesn't do anything on offense right now, which is fine. Yeah, like, he hasn't I, played a ton of minutes with Deuce. Yeah, so. but he, he, he just doesn't, they don't do much offensively, to get, like, especially together. But, like, he doesn't do much offensively. He played with Rose. Rose was awful this year, right? But he's also gotten to play with a better player than he's ever had to play with in Brunson. He's gotten to play with Obi Toppin. Like I think that I yeah, but I are those are those lineups bad on offense? Uh, so when Quickly's on the floor, I haven't looked at those specific lineups, but this is a dramatic discrepancy considering we've seen him have to play with some shitty players, <laughs> and that didn't happen before. Uh, which is why, like, regression maybe was the wrong word, but it's just like something does feel off for a guy who I think is really good on offense. So the numbers are now up. The Knicks are, have a 109.63 offensive rating, which is not bad, but it's not great with quickly on the floor. But, 115.6 um, when he plays with Brunson. It's 116.64 when quickly's off, period. Um, I, I think it should be that even if he's not playing with Brunson. Uh, I get that Deuce doesn't do much, but it's not like he compromises the spacing. Um, you know, I think that it's fair to say, um, the three point field goal percentage when quickly is on the floor has been 30% with him off. It's 33%. So if you want to say that, well, um, you know, people are missing threes, there's probably some three point luck that goes into that. Although I do think part of that is he kicks out to Hartenstein a lot. Hartenstein is not the three point shooter they want him to be or any of us want him to be yet. Um, but, um, I just think there's more there. I think he can be doing more, um, looking for his own shot, like, you know, being, having a little bit of like, you know, and it's frustrating. And maybe this isn't even the best. This is probably not the best way to look at it. But you look at some of the guys who are in that mold. Simons is one. Bones is another. And Bones is shit. Bones is fucking awful inside the arc. But I still have to hear people talk about, well, Bones is better than Quickly. He's more dynamic. Like, Quickly can do a lot of the stuff he can. He doesn't dance as much with the ball. He's a little bit smaller. But he's, he's way better inside the paint. And we just, we're not getting to see it because he's playing, I think, a little bit too cautious. But, like, why why is he playing cautious? At this point, I, I like, it needs to change. Like Okay, but, like, why is he I, playing? I, I, does Tibbs deserve blame? Sure, fine. But I also think... This, this, is, this is literally what happened yesterday. He comes in. It's a three-point game. This is with about five minutes left in the first quarter. 
by the time then he you know the Knicks stretch this thing out 17 point lead everything is rolling everything's great he pulls him with 854 left in the third quarter he pulls him i have no idea why sorry 814 left in the third quarter no no clue why no no particular reason for it but he pulls him right then he doesn't play for the rest of the half okay so that's 8 minutes and then he doesn't check back in okay he doesn't check back into the game until hold on he doesn't check back into the game until 411 left in the third quarter like i'm sorry like i cannot blame how many minutes did he play he played 25 minutes yesterday like if you're not going to get and it's like he played the last 16 minutes of the game what am i supposed to take out of that like this is not like a rational thing to like bones doesn't get minutes like this like and bones by the way he's fucking i swear to god if Knicks fans have to watch bones every night they'd hate his guts they think quickly's a ball hog they think quickly makes bad decisions on offense he's like einstein compared to bones right now but um, my point is more that i wish he had more on that Bones like side that. I, he, I wish he would play a little more like that okay but like here's what denver did right Denver saw Bones his rookie year. Probably they, they also pair him. him with the greatest yeah. passing big. Right. No, no, but but they but they 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 love Bones after his rookie year. What did they do? They traded Monty Morris. They used Monty Morris to uh, to go upgrade another position, and they said Bones, here you go. You're the backup point guard now, and we're going to get rid of Facundo Capazzo's corpse, and these are your minutes. So do what you do. The Knicks never did that. The Knicks were like, oh well, Derrick Rose is here, and. Well, like Tibbs loves this. Tibbs needs a rim pressure guy. I'm not, and I'm not talking about like go get Bronson. I think Rose like, has been worse at rim pressure than Rose. Fucking sucks now. Rose has been terrible this year. Rose was overrated as hell last year. Like he he was good last year, but he also was not the one driving the impact of those units. Like we know that because after he went down, uh, guess what? The bench was still great last year, and the bench is still good this year. It's better without him this year. Um, but like, like the point is like. I don't think Mike Malone, by the way, I think Mike Malone has like similar boomerish tendencies at times to Tibbs. I think most coaches in general have tendencies like that, where you're like, stop fucking dancing, get to the rim, do something instead of just trying to like take 28 foot step back threes and shit. Like, I get that. I don't think that's like unique to Tibbs. But I also think the front office has like, and like the credit to them is like they've at least, I think them and Tibbs have come to the decision of like, let's just play these young guys a lot. And so maybe because of that, and because quickly we'll look less over his shoulder and blah, blah, blah. We'll see improvement in terms of the stuff you're talking about. But, like, I have a really, really hard time looking, even at a game like yesterday, where if you just look at the surface level of the box, you're like, he played 25 minutes. He must have gotten... But it's not, like, that 25 minutes is bullshit. Like, he he was... He 100% was not going to play even 20 minutes last night. He wasn't. He was not going to. And you can see it with the minutes distribution. He brought him in with four minutes left in the third quarter. Brunson was still in the game at that point. Randall's still in the game at that point. The only reason he ends up playing 25 minutes is why. Brunson gets hurt, and Randall gets ejected. That's it. That's the only reason he played 25 minutes. The only reason Deuce played 21 minutes. And I'm not saying... I don't well, actually he's been getting those kind of minutes for a while, though. He, look at the last game. The game against... Uh, who was it? Charlotte. I think he, he played... He 25 minutes? Yeah, but how much of that was garbage time? Like, literally garbage. He's not playing him. Like, I think he had, in that game, I'm pretty sure he had... 10 minutes in the first half or something like he should be playing. This should not be a challenge, especially with a fucking nine man rotation. It should be guaranteed every single night. He gets 27 minutes. That is not hard. That's not even difficult. 
Brunson can play 35, RJ can play 35, Grimes can play 32, whatever the hell it is. It is not hard to get quickly to 27 minutes. And quite frankly, I don't care what his struggles are. I don't care what he's going through. I don't care if he has a bad shooting night. I don't care if he's shooting like Steph Curry. I don't care what the fuck it is. He should be playing 27 minutes every night. That is it. I don't care. Like, Obi, I'm a little bit more like, like, I... Randall's been playing better. Randall's been playing better, and I understand there's like a little... Even like if they, even if they internally are like we're we want to trade Randall, they have to play him to get that to happen. So I'm a little bit more like understanding of that. Even if I still think it shouldn't be that hard to get Ob 20 minutes a night, but like I'm I can live with that. The quickly stuff is infuriating to me, and even the Deuce thing yesterday was ridiculous too. He played seven minutes in the first half. Why? Like Hartenstein played something like 14 minutes, I believe, in the first half, and I'm not mad that like I don't think Hartenstein was bad. I don't think Hartenstein was terrible yesterday or anything like that. But I, if you're well, watching, I mean, also, like, Hartenstein's minutes don't impact Deuce quickly, is right? They do. Yes, they do. Because no other coach in the NBA will look at that team yesterday and be like, oh, we're playing the Kings, who play fucking Sabonis at the five. God forbid, God forbid we even consider playing Julius at the five to get our more impactful, better players our perimeter players more minutes and get them on the floor more. And guess what unit locked them down defensively at the end of the game yesterday? What was it? Was it was it Hartenstein? Was no. It was quickly. It was Deuce. It was Grimes. It was RJ before. And it was Mitch. And then Hartenstein came in for the last minute and a half after Mitch fouled out. But like like there's right, but of Mitch, that shit. Hartenstein it's a Hartenstein versus Mitch thing, right? Unless you're saying they should have just played Randall the five, but yes. even then like I think so I mean, like, what are why? Why can you not? So Randall at the five with RJ at the four, and then uh, and those three like Deuce, just Grimes let, let me and... just see it. I I don't care. Like maybe it sucks. Maybe I'm totally wrong and it sucks. But I don't think there's any other coach that wouldn't even consider that. Like to look at that game and be like, oh, Mitch is in foul trouble. What is the thing I should do right now? And to be and and this type of rigidity leads to a situation where you have Hartenstein getting more minutes and quickly or Deuce. I'm sorry, that's a joke. That's a joke to me. Like, I don't care about, like, if you're that rigid about positions over getting your best players on the court, that's a problem. And, like, again, I'm not going to, I mentioned it once yesterday at halftime. I'm not going to sit here and bitch about that. But, like, this is the type of stuff where in this current moment where you have this nine-man rotation, that stuff might not be that big a deal. But, like, if you're really evaluating a coach and you're like, what what is a good thing about him? What are the bad things about him? This is one of those things about Tibbs that like is bad. Like I it doesn't matter how small his rotation is. It does, his tendencies, his rigidity always reveals itself. And it always reveals that he values position over getting his best players on the floor. I don't like that. I think that's a really big problem. And I think it adversely affects quickly, and I think it adversely affects deuce now a little bit too and i i i'm happy that it's not affecting grimes um or or rj really that much because whatever but like it 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 hurts those guys i i don't think there's any way around that and it hurts obi at times too so like it is a problem they will have to figure it out i do want to talk about randall though um who had a fucking great week who had a great game and then got himself ejected in maybe the dumbest way possible like i i I don't know i i was i'll put it this way you start having like second thoughts about julius like that maybe maybe i was wrong maybe we should keep him forever 
Maybe was he worth the contract? Maybe he's going to lead us to the to home court again? Is that what's going to happen? And then he has a moment like that, and I'm just like, this is why no matter how good you play, and I just can't trust him. I can't trust him. And it's not that he got... Getting ejected is one thing. The way it happened was so stupid. It was so stupid. Okay, you go and yell at the ref. He got... Look, he 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 deserved to be upset. He clearly got fouled. Didn't get the call. I get it. I have no problem with him getting a tech. The well well earned tech. He gets one technical there. Cool. You move on. And even he, Green and Clyde both said that, right? Yeah. That's like they were fine. It's or they didn't come out and say it, but they were like, okay, fine. You made your point. Right? Yeah. He you gets he gets a technical, and then what does he do? He goes over. He goes towards another ref. Starts yelling at him. It's like. And you can say, okay, the, the the second ref, you know, should have a little bit more of a long leash. Like, shouldn't just tee him up again. So, what are you trying to accomplish at that right. point? And it's also like you're putting yourself in that position. Like nobody else. And and look, I, I credit to RJ and Tibbs for being like, oh yeah, you know, other guys on the team have to take him away and all this shit. But it's like, what are we talking about here? He's a 28 year old. He's a nine year vet. And like you're talking about, oh, other guys need to go get him. Oh, why? So they can get shoved to the side by him. Like we saw happen countless times last year with Obi like and Evan, and no, like I wouldn't want to deal with that either. I'd be like, "All right, bro, let Julius do his angry man thing, and I'll go dap him up on the sideline later." But like, no, like I'm sorry, like I'm I'm still at the same point where it's like this guy can he he might he has turned it around offensively, especially the three point shot. Like I I guess he figured out how to shoot with. Thousands of thousands and thousands of people in the crowd, so that's cool. Um, but like, I I still don't think he's trustworthy. I still don't think that he is somebody that you should be effectively betting on to help be a part of where you're ultimately trying to go. And I thought that game yesterday was like, I don't know, to be that unhinged in a game where you're fucking rolling, like you're rolling and. Not just are you rolling, the team is rolling, you're cooking, you're looking, staring at a fourth straight win at home. Feels like you've turned the season around after it almost felt like it was about to fall off a cliff like the O'Doyles. Uh, and, and like, look, again, it, it felt a lot like that Phoenix game last year. It was exactly the same thing. Julius was cooking in that game. The Knicks were up double digits at that point against Phoenix. He has something with Cam Johnson. He gets himself tossed. And the Knicks didn't win that game. They didn't close that one out, partially because Tibbs played stupider lineups in that game, and Tibbs didn't play stupider. He played the right dudes in lieu of Julius being around. And they locked up, and they got the job done. They saw the victory home, but like that could have cost the Knicks a game. And if you're ultimately, again, we don't need to debate the value of what their internal goals are in terms of making the playoffs, not making whatever it is. But like, if, I think it's safe to say their goal is to make the playoffs. And I'm sure the players know that too. If that's your goal, like, it, look at the Eastern Conference standings right now. Look at the NBA standings right now. Every single game is like a win is worth gold. It's weight in gold right now. And so to put yourself and your team in that position, from your team leader, quite I mean, not quite literally the oldest player in the rotation, the the veteran in the rotation. To, I I think that that was so so bad, and I didn't really want to talk about it yesterday because I again I was enjoying that game. I was enjoying watching the young guys defend their asses off and play together. And yeah, I agree with you. Like some of the offensive stuff, quickly, whatever. Yeah, it wasn't beautiful, but like 
I can live with that when you got these guys competing their ass off on the defensive end, locking dudes up. I can live with that. But the Julius thing yesterday, I thought it was really, really bad. And it just strengthens like what I still feel ultimately is that like I I can't trust this guy. I cannot trust him to be a key piece of the future. Like you're not like a 21 year old, you know, you're not like a second year player still figuring it out. You're ninth year vet. You're you're a guy that the franchise hanging his hat on for a little bit or to an extent. And you're a guy that the dudes on your team are looking to as one of your top one, two options, however they view it to, to do what he did was just, I mean, it it was self-serving and uh, you could argue that it was just a selfish act and had it, it again, luckily didn't cost the Knicks a game, but it very well could have. And if I'll promise you this, if it does, if it did cost the Knicks a game, the conversation we're having today is very, very different than the one that is generally happening. You're on mute. Do you remember the last time he got ejected from a game? Yeah, Phoenix. That cost us that game. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's what I said. Like it, that he cost us that game, and so like he put himself in that same position yesterday. Similar situation. I think we were up like twelve or thirteen in that Phoenix game last time. No, we were up sixteen when he got ejected today, or last yesterday, I should say. Like these are just stupid ejections. They're dumb ejections. They're and, selfish, and, and, and they don't and achieve anything. And you hit it on the head because, like, yeah, like lots of. I mean, I don't even think Carmelo Anthony had a, not a great relationship with NBA referees. I don't remember him getting ejected. He very, very. That's really my point. He, he never. Did. I don't even think he got ejected for the Honey Nut Cheerios thing. He didn't. That game was so insane. I remember watching that, like, because I mean, I was, I was, I remember, I just remember watching that on TV, and like, you could feel like the crowd. I was like, this literally feels like a playoff game right now. Yeah, and it was, it was that kind of intensity. But this is this is a game against like, like everything is going well, right? You're killing the opponent. Um, you have your weird grudge against Sabonis coming out. <laughs> that's working for you. Um, your process has just been immaculate. The yeah, his first half yesterday was incredible, like incredible first half. Um, and not just hitting shots. I mean, he finished three eleven for three of eleven from three. It wasn't even like he was just only no, hitting. He, you know, in the third quarter, he had the, he had a play that I. Might be my favorite play I've ever seen of his, where he got the ball at the top of the key, or like the elbowish kind of top of the key. He knew, and the, the Kings had started doubling him because he was just killing them. RJ throws it to him, and RJ's like standing on the wing. He was like, "Should I just wait here?" Because you're, gonna, and he's like, "Fuck yeah, no!" Yeah. <laughs> he's like, "Fuck yeah. yeah!" And so RJ goes, he drops it to him, and then he has an easy lob to Mitch. But it's like that's like I'm telling you, like I, I was thinking about this yesterday. It, it actually ruined it because I was gonna say. The way he was playing, and like I know he wasn't shooting as well in the third quarter, but just the process was still so good. And I was gonna like honestly say that might have been his most like controlled performance as a Nick because it was that good. It even felt different from twenty twenty. And uh, you know, if you look at his stats this year, I do think like for people saying you know this is Julius Randle twenty, he's still shooting thirty three percent from three. Like it feels like he's making more threes than he was last year, and he is, but he's still a slightly below average three point shooter. But his true shooting is at 59%. It's been hovering around 60 for most of the year. Um, you know, his assists are down, but so were his turnovers. Um, and the, the, the decision-making, that like, the offense has been less criticized. But I think you're, you hit the nail on the head. It's like, we've asked ourselves so many times, yes, it was COVID. Yes, you know, um, you know, no fans in the stands and all that. But that kind of 
a, a drop off, right? From what he from he was an All NBA second team All NBA player in 2020. That means he was one of the the ten best players in the NBA. Um, and that was earned. I don't think that was a bullshit, you know, whatever award. Um, to fall from that to like last year, you know, by advanced stats, he was one of the worst players in the NBA. If you don't buy that, he was a bad player last year. How do you have that kind of fall? And I think you look at last night, and you you did it like there's, there's not much more to be said, you know. But even even Clyde and Bree and like no one was killing him over that first tech. No, right? Like yeah, you're no. pissed off, and it was it was, I was a culmination. Yeah, yeah, I was pissed off. I I literally was thinking in my head like this is a good tech. Just go get go get the tech. Like go, maybe 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 like sometimes you get a tech right, and the refs they yeah. give you the tech, but they know that they fucked up. So. It, like we've seen coaches do this all the time. Like Pop has done this. There's all this happens all the time. So it's not. And like you know, sometimes it's just like fuck it. It's one point. You, you, he got shoved. He literally got shoved to the ground while he was up in the air. And I don't think it wasn't like a like Sabonis didn't. It's one of those where you like if you're playing defense, sometimes you subconsciously just do it because you're trying to throw the guy off. It is dangerous, but I didn't think it was like a dirty play. But it is dangerous. And, and, it's, and it's a foul. Yeah, and, 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 and the, the calls that Sabonis was getting. Oh my god! And Sabonis got away with a million push-offs. Um, yeah, got away with a million travels too. He has like fifteen pivots on half his fucking moves. Yeah, and uh, yeah, we needed that. I don't know if you saw that Ja Morant video. Oh god! <laughs> I thought you would appreciate. You know what I'm talking about, though, right? Yeah, the yeah, guy yeah, who yeah. made the whole mix. The Devin in the lab. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and they were all carries in trouble. Yeah. Um, I, I think that that would probably bode well, but. There, I was hard on Hartenstein because I felt like he too often that Sabonis get positioned. But Press pointed this out a lot of times. Like Sabonis just gets away with these. It's like basic offensive pass interference, yeah, kind of thing where that's how receivers create. And they don't call it, but it's like it's bullshit. And for Randall to not get his call is like, but Breen and Clyde. Clyde was like he's asking for a tech, and I don't think Clyde meant it to be derogatory necessarily either. He said he's asking for a tech. I think because he was like. He's trying to get in the referee's face, like stop this bullshit. I'll take the tech, and that would have been a logical thing. To your point, why do you keep going? Yeah, like that tells me that, like that, that shifts the view of like you're a team leader. You're frustrated. You want your team to get some respect. I respect that, but once you go for the second one, that tells me that you're not in control anymore. And um, yeah, he he, he lost yesterday, and that can explain why somebody is so dependent on like mental clarity. That they could go from 2020 Julius Randle to 2021 Julius Randle. Well, the, it's that, or maybe it's the fact that he's not watching uh, Yellowstone on Netflix late at night anymore. <laughs> that was. Uh, uh, is that? Yeah. Would you recommend Yellowstone? Uh, I've actually not watched it. I've heard it's really, really awesome, though. Um, so sure. Uh, I actually do want to go back to what we were talking about with uh, IQ Deuce and Grimes because I've seen a lot of people, and like, I want to be very clear. I think you can debate this, and I don't think it's like that bad to debate it um but like i've seen a lot of people like credit grimes and deuce for the defensive turnaround like lion's share of credit and i just really don't agree with that and it's not because they're like i think they're awesome like they're really both phenomenal on-ball defenders i'm just gonna read off some numbers okay and then these are not perfect <clears throat> this does not you know this this does not uh, paint the whole picture. Okay, but this is just from this season. And if you extend it out to the last season, most of this plays out the same. Not the numbers exactly, but the same type of correlation. 
Okay. Quickly, when he's when he's on the floor without Grimes or Deuce, 109.47 defensive rating. It's a very slight net positive, 0.5 net positive. When none of those guys are on, by the way, this is a great one. When none of those guys are on, 407, and quickly played 427 minutes in the first one. Second one is when none of those guys are on the floor. 407 minutes, 121.5 defensive rating. So, yeah, I think they're important defensively. Grimes, defensively, 254 minutes. This is without quickly or deuce on the floor. 120.95 defensive rating, slight net negative, minus 2.7 net minus rating. Uh, quickly and deuce without Grimes, 73 minutes, 95.4 defensive rating. They're a massive plus, 13.2. Quickly with Grimes, no deuce. That's 70 minutes. Massive plus, 22.2. Net rating, 97.95 defensive rating. When all three are on the floor together, only 55 minutes, 80.5 defensive rating, 14.1 net. Uh, we don't need to talk about what the offensive rating is, though. Uh, Grimes with Grimes and Deuce without quickly. 18 minutes, 92.1 defensive rating. Deuce without quickly or Grimes, 7 minutes, 112.5 defensive rating. All my point is here, though, is I think quickly is I think he's the most important linchpin of those three. And I'll tell you why. It is not because I think he's the best defender in terms of like how we traditionally view defense, like on ball, lockdown, whatever. I do think he's actually a lot better at that than people that he gets credit for. And his I don't remember what I mean his some of the shots he's contested and he's he's doing a great job this year. But like I don't think he's as good as those guys are at that. But, like, I'm going to make a football comparison. Uh, the Bills have a linebacker named Tremaine Edmonds. And Tremaine Edmonds is a lightning rod for Bills fans because Tremaine Edmonds does not blitz a lot. Tremaine Edmonds doesn't make a lot of tackles behind the line of scrimmage. Tremaine Edmonds doesn't get a lot of sacks. He doesn't make a lot of splash plays. But what Tremaine Edmonds does is... He is 6'5", he is 250 pounds, he looks like a fucking alien in the middle of the field, and has the wingspan of a pterodactyl. Passing lanes are very are a lot more difficult uh, when he is on the field. And magically, our pass defense goes from elite to mediocre at best when he's off the field. Even though, just looking at his numbers and his production, you would never guess the impact. And that is not to say that I think Tremaine Edmonds is our best defensive player on the Bills, but he is somebody who is extremely critical to the scheme. He's extremely critical to a scheme where you play nickel all the time, and you only have two linebackers on the field, and your linebackers are asked to cover side to side, sideline to sideline. He is a massive, massive piece of why the Bills' defense, his entire time, has been an elite pass defense. Why? Am I bringing that up in relation to Emmanuel Quickly? Watch Emmanuel Quickly play defense. He is constantly pointing out to players where they need to be. He is constantly communicating. He is constantly talking. He is the he is the guy who is best at making that weak side rotation. 
that is the most annoying part of Tibbs' defense. He's the best guy at making that rotation, tagging the roll man and still being able to be in the passing lanes to dissuade those passes to the cross-court shooters. Even if the pass gets through, he's excellent at running a guy off the line or getting in a good contest. He is critical to that, to that, to this scheme, given his skill set. And I think because of what he is good at, it is, it is not, I'm not saying it doesn't make Grimes and Deuce McBride look better. But what it does is it, it accentuates and maximizes and optimizes everything that they are great at. And what they are great at is point of attack defense, hounding guys, just putting dudes in jail. That is their strength. And they are great at that. But I think he is the linchpin of making this perimeter defensive rotation work. And I think that's why even when Grimes is out and it's just him and Deuce, that that they work so well together. Because what quickly is great at defensively enhances what Deuce is great at defensively and vice versa. And vice versa. So it's not just one way or the other. But I do think what he does at a team defensive impact level really gets undersold. I think it's been undersold. I thought it was undersold last year. I thought it was undersold even as a rookie, even though he definitely wasn't as good as this as a rookie. And I think even with the broader acknowledgement he's getting this year, I still think it is being undersold how good he is and how impactful his ability to make rotations and direct direct things defensively. Like I, I think Mitch has been hand hand in the air. I think uh, it's early in the season, but I'm going to call it. I was. I guess I was right about my prediction for Mitch, but like it was definitely wrong when I waffled on it. But like him there, he's been awesome. I don't think Mitch is particularly great at communicating. I don't think any of our other players defensively are particularly great at communicating. I think Quickly is really, really good at communicating. And I don't mean just like talking, but also like like again, pointing guys to where they need to be, directing spots. There was a play yesterday, I don't even remember what the hell it was, but like I don't know, Sims did something. It wasn't like I think he might have ended up knocking the ball out, but like if he had been in the right position, it probably would have just been a steal. And like, as soon as the ball went out, you could see quickly go over to him and like point, you know, if you're here, whatever, blah, blah, blah. But it's like those small things, I think really add up. And I think they show a level of intuitive in, in, intuition that he has defensively that I'm not sure I see from anybody else in the team. Grimes has some moments, but I think Grimes is so like high octane right now. <laughs> like, I don't even like, sometimes he's just like, so he had some possessions yesterday at Malik Monk, where I think Malik Monk was about to cry. Um, but he's like, he's not reading what other teams are doing the same way. And he's not, he, he, I think and he's McBride not being asked is, to. But yeah, yeah. I, I think McBride is on Quickly's level, at least, in terms of off-ball actions, the like the team defense. Like, quickly, like he, he is known for just being a pit bull at the point of attack. But that is actually something I put over, over like a guy like, Pat Beverly, where McBride has a 2.5 steal rate, and he's not just like picking dudes' pockets, right? Like, there was one play on an inbounds pass where, like, he had his guy, and the inbounds guy had to, and he just stood there, and it's like, okay, this is one of those things where they just throw it up, and now that they know the def- he's not gonna, he doesn't have the element of his present, he still stole the ball, and he anticipates. Um, I think. In terms of team defense and knowing everyone else's job and being a defensive leader, I would agree with that. But I think it goes both ways. I think that the thing with quickly, you know, I think he's a capable point of attack defender. I think he's a good point of attack defender. Even at the peak of Kawhi Leonard's powers, right? The Spurs preferred to deploy him as a free safety, as a help defender, because that's where he could have the most impact. 
and they were helped by having good point of attack defenders. Uh, it's kind of like Charles Woodson playing safety for the Packers. Yes, his foot speed was diminished, but it's also like you can use him to take one receiver out of the game. And I think as the modern NFL has changed, you see this more and more. You can use like a lockdown corner to take one guy out of a game, or you can deploy him over the field. You can use him as a blitzer. You can do all of these other things. And I think that's the ideal role for quickly. And I think because Deuce and Grimes are one, I think they are better team defenders than I think you're giving them credit. But also, I think that they also help quickly shine as well. So it, it kind of goes both ways. I, I 100% agree. I just think that there's a reason why even before Grimes, I mean, the whole Grimes thing was so weird. Uh, so whenever Grimes got back in the mix, even before that, like his like his impact was massive on defense. Like it, it was just there the entire year. Um, and like, that's not to say that those guys wouldn't, I, I think he raises the floor of a team defensively more than those guys necessarily do. Um, but I think you can, you could argue not unfairly. I think that's, I think the argument that you could make is like, what is the more elite defensive skill set? And like to that end, I was not ready to put Grimes in kind of like, elite defensive guard prospect, whatever you want to hell you want to call it. Um, I didn't, I was not ready to label him that after last year, but from what I've seen this year, like I think I'm very comfortable with that. And the fact that he can legitimately guard one to three. Uh, yeah. Like if you want to put him as like a more elite defensive prospect than quickly, like I'm totally fine with that. Uh, but at the end of the day, like, I think they're both just elite defensive prospects, and I think Deuce. I think all three of them are. Yeah. yeah, and I think like it's just like, look, I just I just think like this the defensive turnaround the team has made. It's not. Yes, it's because of those two guys, but it's because you're adding those two guys to a rotation that already had actually an elite defender in it, and two really. If you're gonna, I think it's Mitch is a little bit weirder. I still hesitate to call him elite quite yet, but like. He's trending that way pretty strongly this year. Progress, yeah. Progress. He, we're we're we'll take it. You know, he's he's. I'm, making, I'm gonna get you. I'm gonna get you all the way there. If I, the end of the I just need to see how he does against the Joel Embiid's and Jokic's of the world. I does anyone to, do that well against? I does just Rudy need him to not well foul out. I just need him not to foul out. I need him not to foul out. I need him to be able to stay on the floor and not pick up two fouls within the first two minutes of Jokic. He got screwed him. yesterday, by the way. I would not. Oh yeah, that. no. Yesterday was I. I have no problem with that. I, I didn't think. I, Two or three of those fouls were bullshit. His last foul wasn't a foul. Um, yeah, it was. He should have had a double double. That's the most. That's the worst part about that last foul he got. It should have been his double double. Finishes twelve and nine instead of twelve and ten. Um, but like, yeah, I mean, this team is. I mean, look, we we argue. I think we talked about this earlier in the year. This is what I thought. I thought that Tom Thibodeau's usage of the roster and his deployment of the roster was the reason why the defense looked as bad as it did. And I thought this team was a good defense. I think they had a strong enough track record of being a good defense. And now that he's playing, again, we're playing four guys who, let's just say, let's so that people are like, oh, Knicks fans are so great, they're guys. Let's just say at least they have four guys in the rotation that are good defensive players. Like, you're seeing the difference that makes. Like, 50% of your minutes now are going to guys that are good on defense. And... Like Sims is probably good. Like I think it's fair to say Sims is good on defense. Hardenstein is good, even though he makes the in the right like, role. 
he had a defensive rebound yesterday that he missed. It got stripped from his hands, and I wanted to like punch myself in the face watching it. Um, but like, I think he's a pretty good defensive player. Sims is a good defensive player. Like, this is that's six guys of your nine in the rotation, and like, nice. Yeah, right. And it's like I don't think Brunson is Brunson. If he's bad, it's not about effort. It's about just a limitation of like his physical capabilities, right? Um, RJ and we as we talked about earlier, RJ and Randall picking it up. Like, there's the offense is like a very interesting thing. Uh, and I'll pull up the numbers after I shut up here. But like, the defense has been the best in the league since McBride came in. And some of that you can, you know, you can talk to me about like, oh, teams aren't making threes and blah, blah, blah. Okay, fine. They're going to make more threes. This should be, if those guys stay healthy, I feel fairly confident this is a top five defense for the rest of the year. We'll see. Um, What have they been over the last 10 games? They're still Uh, pretty average, right? I think they have been sixth or seventh. I'll pull it up right now. Um, I'm just going. I heard Goldsberry posted one of those uh, last ten game charts, and they seem to be still at the origin. But oh, the origin! Do you want to explain that to our listeners? Um, <laughs> you don't think they go to Indian parent school? <laughs> uh, the Knicks over the last ten games are fifth in defensive rating, one hundred eight point four defensive rating. Uh, they are also, they are also quite as kept. They are eighth in offensive rating over the last ten games. I don't yeah. know. I don't know. Well, I, I'm just I, saying, and I'm not sure. I don't be... think those are unrelated either. One, obviously, it's easier to score off of, um, you know, it's easier to score off of misses. But I also think they've just forced a lot of turnovers, right? I mean, I, I mentioned the deuce stat, but in general, it seems like they've been getting into transition more. You, sorry, um, now I'm asking you for. You, has the pace changed at all for them? Uh, they're playing a lot slower now. They're playing oh, the opposite of what the, the pace is ninety nine point four six. I believe they were pretty well over a hundred. Okay. I can I can pull up the whole season. So that may not be as much for contributing. Uh, for the full season, they are at a hundred point two eight. They're ninety nine point four six over the last ten games. So they I, I wouldn't say they've like dropped off quite a bit, but they've. They've dropped off a little bit, so I don't know. And so, and like, offensive improvement isn't being driven by just tons of transition. Yeah, no, I mean, I just think like, look, (coughs) and this is kind of like, whatever. Fuck it, it's just my it's our podcast. Who gives a shit? Uh, This is kind of why I thought this team had maybe a higher upside than people thought coming into the season. Like, the defense was so bad to start the year; it, it really tested all of my belief that like they could turn it around and voila they've turned it around because Tibbs figured it out he's playing the right guys on defense kudos to him kudos to us the nerds that uh didn't watch the film 6000 times to arrive at the same conclusion a year later um like Tibbs did but i'm happy he did it so like that was always the thing that was to me the safe bet with this team. Okay, the defense will be the big driver of success. The big question was, what can the offense be? And let's just say this. We don't, like, we've played 27 games. The Knicks have shot like shit from three. Maybe they're just a bad three-point shooting team. Very possible. I also think it's possible that this team, okay, so like I mentioned, in, in the last 10 games, they are 
eighth in offensive rating, tied with the Dallas Mavericks. Both have a 115.6 offensive rating. Um, for the full season, for the full season, the Knicks are 15th in offensive rating, 112.1. If the Knicks just get to like 20th at the three point percentage, which Why? normal regression could get them there. Right. Like everyone is shooting below average right now. Right. So, I mean, they've removed what, their best three point shooter from the lineup. So maybe. Right. But, but, but what do they say, right? If you're any contender, has to be a top 10 defense and a top 10 offense. I don't think the Knicks are a contender, but I'm telling you, there's a chance this team might actually be, end up being like. I don't think they'll get to top 10 in offense, but. I, I think I think before the season I said I could see an up upward range of like twelfth. Yeah, I and I mean twelfth is there. And look in the East. I mean, how many teams scare you? Milwaukee scares the shit out of me. You're that, not scared of the Bulls. <laughs> uh, I ain't scared of no ghost. Uh, you got Milwaukee. Uh, obviously, Boston is also to the point you mentioned that might be not kryptonite, but just our. Our new found defensive premier strength may not work as well against Brown and Tatum, uh, and they're just they're, they're a really good team. Um, and then and Toronto just feels like a shitty matchup for us. Just have felt like a shitty matchup for us for a while. And then we keep going, and it's like, am I scared of Miami? No, uh, I should be scared of Philadelphia because they have more talent, um, and I expect them to figure it out. But Doc Rivers feels like an, a, a hammer, or sorry, an anchor right now on that team in a way that maybe even Tibbs isn't on the Knicks. Um, you know, am I scared of, um, I mean, Atlanta? Even with, I mean, I know you're not scared of DeJounte Murray. Like, I, I think we would have won that game if he played. I'd be scared of DeJounte Murray if we were doing, like, a, like a fashion shoot. Like, yeah. He might, he might yeah, or if, like, he was allowed to just bean players on the head and play against fucking scrubs, you know, from the YMCA. Yeah, like, he's terrifying in those games. Um so no, I think I think the East is like I think Boston and Milwaukee. Milwaukee's been weird, but they're they just got Middleton back. I think they're like working through some shit. I think those two are clear they're in their up. yeah they're in their own league. They're and I will say like I was I didn't want to put Cleveland up there to start the year, not because I didn't think like the Mitchell trade was a huge upgrade for them, but I just hate betting on like it felt like a lot like we're putting a lot on Evan Mobley to help make this leap. And I don't like putting that on second year guys, but he actually hasn't been that great. And they're still really, really good. So and he's going to hurt. I mean, which might be a thing. Just yeah. But like, he's, he's going to get better Mobley. Right. And they have the best defense in the league right now. Like their offense is like, eh, it's okay. It's, I think it's like top. Let me just see. Uh, their offense right now is 12th, 112.7. Like, I don't know if that gets better or not. It feels like the wing situation there is pretty bad. But, like, they they, they have a shot. Like, they, they have a shot. And then after that, I, I don't know. Like, who, who are you scared of in this conference, right? It's like Brooklyn, I guess. I mean, Brooklyn's better than us just because KD, if he's, like, if his body's not broken, is... Kanye, uh, yeah. they might make a trade. Simmons obviously still has talent, so yeah, they're like fine. You want to put Brooklyn above us? Cool. Other than that, you know, 
Pacers, I think would I, I'm not buying this Pacers thing. I think they fall off. No, at some point they're going to tank. Yeah, um, I think the Sixers, like, are they better than us talent wise? Yeah, sure. I do think they there's something there though with them where it's like, it's weird. It just feels like they're they're you know they're not athletic. They they do they don't look active. They look lethargic constantly. There's like a weird energy with them. Even when they play well, it just feels like like it's like oh Embiid went off tonight. But it's not like they played well. It's like Embiid played really well, right? Toronto, I think they are. But I, I just think that team is. I think Nick Nurse has run them into the ground. Um, you know, other than that, Washington, Chicago, Atlanta, Miami, Detroit, Orlando, maybe in four years for Orlando, uh, Charlotte. Like, yeah, like I, I think the East is. I mean, it's crazy to say this, but. Just as a regular season thing, right? Just as a regular season thing, it's not crazy to think like if the Knicks can avoid any major injuries to Brunson, they could. They, I could see like a top four seed, yeah, the almighty fourth seed. Yeah, I could see. I could see it, and, I, and not because I think they're the fourth best team or that they're a contender, but like we know the regular season is in the playoffs, right? Um, and I wouldn't be upset about that if this is the rotation because that's fucking awesome. Oh, we got the. I don't even. I think like let's be let's even tamper it down even more. I think six seed, right? Six seed is not crazy. I don't think that's an insane expect, uh, insane upside to to assign this team. But like, imagine if we got the six seed playing starting Grimes and RJ, who are still on rookie deals. RJ's rookie deals or his extension doesn't kick in until next year. Mitch, who yes we extended, but like a kid we drafted, right? Quickly, McBride. Ob coming off the bench, all three guys that we've drafted, and Sims being situational, another guy we drafted. Like, uh, what am I supposed? Am I I'm supposed to be upset? Like, oh my god! Like, well, can't believe this team is winning basketball games and not tanking for Wembenyama. Like, uh, how can you be upset about that? That's literally your young guys being put in position to have an impact and having an impact. What? So, like, I don't know. We're supposed to shut them down. So we can get a good look at Svi Makai look, you know, get Archie Diakono some starting point guard minutes. Like, no, that's fucking stupid. You can't do that. I, I don't know. I just, I really don't know how people are, there are people that are upset about that. But before we continue, the NBA season is heating up and there's still so many unknown things going on. Like, is Philly good? Like we just talked about? I don't know. I'm not convinced. I don't like their vibes or body language. When I'm looking to get in on the action, I bet with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. New customers can bet just $5 pregame money line and any NBA team to win their game and get $150 in free bets if they do. Check this out. Right now, everyone can earn up to a 100% boost with DraftKings stepped-up same-game parlays. Go to the DraftKings Sportsbook app, place a same-game parlay, and combine multiple bets like which team will win, total rebounds, and more. The more legs you add, the bigger the boost, the bigger your shot to win Big. Download the app now. Sign up with code TBPN. Place a $5 pregame Moneyline bet on any NBA team to win their game and get $150 in free bets if they do. That's code TBPN only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. Uh, I want to ask you something because last week we've talked about this a lot, right? We talked about how it felt in a lot of ways like the way the season started, the rotations, all that stuff, it was like, what are we trying to go for? Right? What are we trying to achieve here? Do you like I 
thought immediately when he it got revealed that Deuce was going to be in and that they weren't going to go back to Rose, I was like, okay, now I feel pretty good about this team, even with weird Tom Thibodeau stuff going on. Like, do you feel differently about what direction is the franchise going in? And just generally, like, I don't want to say the upside, but like, kind of the the hope for internal growth and development of our players as kind of like where we stand right now? Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's the things you want to see. And I think as we've said, like it hasn't hurt the Knicks' win-loss total. As no, one had, no one had ever predicted this, right? I mean, me and you <laughs> understood that if they played the kids, we were going to lose. We were going to go over for 82. And look, and Tibbs, look at us Tibbs, like Tibbs, isn't, he, Tibbs isn't trying to tank. You know, he just wants yeah. to win so bad. <laughs> um, no, I, I think that you have to, the, the, and they're deploying people in largely the right role. Um, for what it's worth, I think even giving Sims a look there um, at the four is, is kind of nice. Um, I'm being serious. I like really, I'm obsessed with it now. Like I want, I, like it, I'm being serious. Like if you traded, if you just traded for Persigas and you had him and Sims together in the front court, like who? What? Like imagine a lineup of just like quickly Deuce, Grimes, Grimes Sims, and Porzingis. Who the fuck is scoring on that? Yeah, it would be. Um, <laughs> it would be quite the. I mean, does Porzingis have any history in New York? I don't know. If the no, way. none. Yeah. Otherwise, if if you know, if let's say he had played here before and uh, there was some history, there would be even there'd be an even added storyline to that, right? Yeah, I mean, um, I mean, even a guy like Miles Turner might, might be interesting considering, but he's shooting like what forty one percent from three this year. I don't think that lasts. He's had similar heaters before, but yeah, yeah I mean, I, yeah, I'm yeah, sorry, not really ahead. trying to move off bench yeah. right now either. Yeah, I'm not either. Um, the um, but I, I'd agree with that. I also think so. The one disappointing thing for a lot of people is Cam. So here's what I'll say about this: the Knicks passed on their draft pick last year. Um, I wouldn't put it quite so strongly in those terms. They say. I don't think they dumped it, for example, they dump cap space. They got three first protected first round picks, which shouldn't be too much worse than that one, even individually. So together, you know, if you're trying to get into rebuilding mode, three of those is better than one. But we've we've hashed all that out. Uh, my point is I you look at this draft and they've been rumored to be interested in dealing cam and open to dealing quickly. That's how I read that. <laughs> if you look at this draft, it makes more sense. Um I am not just biased, I swear to God, but I'm going to name one guy who is mocked close to 20, certainly out of the lottery, but very firmly in the first round, who I would have probably taken over a guy like Benedict Matherin last draft. And Matherin went sixth. And that's just. Do you, feel, do you feel differently about that now, though? Maybe a little bit. Um, but I, I don't. I think Jet Howard is 6'8. Um, he can score at three levels more efficiently than. He's a freshman. Matherin was a sophomore. Um, he is probably a similar level of defender in terms of much better on ball, but um, has lapses off ball. Uh, and he's six eight, and has all the tools and can get to the rim. Pretty good passer. Like he's that level of prospect. I think he's in the Matherin range, and he, he might go as low as like pick twenty. And that's not because there's misevaluation. That's because there's a million fucking wings in this draft that are awesome. Uh, you talk about quickly, there's a guy named Kaysen Wallace who might go 8th or ninth at Kentucky. He's got a 4.3 steal rate. He's shooting 50% from 3, and he's a good finisher. 
And by the way, he went to the, I don't know if you heard about this, but quickly went to Kentucky. Mm. Um, it might have been mentioned once or twice. Um, so I think that some of their strategy, I think, is going to be to reshape the roster a little bit. Obviously, there's certain guys that we'd rather they got rid of, but Fournier is gone no matter what. Let's be real. Fournier isn't expiring next year. His oh, yeah, yeah, he's never. Uh, Rose ditto. Um, so I think they are going to, so I think that fans who were annoyed that we traded the 19th pick for Reddish, now looking to trade him, um, you know, didn't use our first round pick last draft. I personally am not a fan of the Keels pick, but that's for different reasons and 42, whatever. Um, do you think Keels, who do you think can eat more wings? You or Keels? Uh, Keels, I'm, I'm not very good at that stuff, so, (laughs) um, I can barely eat two doses, man. So I'm not a very good South Indian son-in-law. Um, the, um, the, the, the point I'm making is that I think they're going to use at least, I think they will use, if they don't use them to move up, if they really like a guy, and I know there's one guy who you have your eye on, um, who I like a lot too, and Jarius Walker, if they want to move up for a guy like that, they might not have to, by the way. He, they, they're, they're right now at 10 or 11. They they might do that, but barring that, I think they'll use both first round picks, you know, or they might do some Brock Aller maneuvering. But I don't. I think they were going to use two first round picks minimum this year, and I think that partially explains. And and this is the right draft to do that in. And it also I think it, it, it mitigates a couple of our worries. One, like what are they doing if they're trading Cam and maybe even thinking about trading quickly? Uh, like if you if you can get a guy like Casey Wallace or like some of these guys who who look like star players. And you say, yeah, we can get, you know, OG and an OB for quickly, or we can get an unprotected first. It makes it a little bit more excusable, you know, as much as we love him. But, um, you know, the other thing is that I think you and I have both, as good as this front office has been at drafting, the worry is that they don't seem to value, like, Cam Reddish-type wings. When I say Cam Reddish-type wings, I mean people with those kind of physical tools, right? Um, You know, would they were rumored to be into Devin Vassell ended up taking Obi Toppin. So we don't know how truthful those things are. Didn't take a guy like Desmond Bain. Like, we saw them, they took Keels despite there being a glut of 6'3 people on the roster. There was Josh Minot and Kendall Brown, a couple of long, rangy, more upside wings there. I think that the fact that they're willing to move Cam means they're either just decided they're not going to use that archetype and are going to be the opposite of the Raptors, or they look at this draft and they say, like, that is an archetype that's in abundance. Um, because beyond Jet, you have you have a ton of guys. You have guys like Cam Whitmore, uh, and a lot of these guys would probably go like top five or you know top but, seven, top eight in last year's draft. Wh- they would have got a guy like Johnny Davis. Whitmore is probably going to go like top six, seven, right? Yeah, I think he's at thirteenth on Tankathon. He's been hurt, but um, you know, just like the names are like um, just they, they pop. I mean, Keontae George is another quickly type guy, six four, but takes a ton of threes really dynamic player. You got a guy like Anthony Black. He's like the Dyson Daniels mold. He's 11th right now on Tankathon, 6'7", with like high playmaking ability. The Knicks right now are mocked to get Khalil Ware, who I know you're a fan of. Um, shot blocking center with who's flashed able yeah. to shoot. Just, just, so, just so everybody knows, if I'm a fan of a player in this draft, that doesn't mean I've actually done any <laughs> analysis. It's mostly just like, oh, wow. This guy's highlights are pretty cool. Yeah, but if you watch Jarius Walker, if you know anything about Schwinn and you watch Jarius Walker play for five minutes, you're like, okay, Schwinn's got to have a huge man crush on this dude. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, I do. Like, the guy's awesome. Um, but, you know, you look at 
um, Derek Lively is a, like Keegan Murray's twin brother, who is putting up, by the way, Keegan Murray type production at Iowa. Yeah, I was gonna. Yeah, I was gonna say like he seems like perfect for us. Yeah, I mean, well, he's he is, I think, strictly a four. Um, so I perfect. think great. To, we need more. Well, <laughs> the Knicks are we're best when they had eighty-five power forwards, right? Shout out yes. Zach Lowe. Uh, I do think that would be a great fit, but I think at that point you're probably moving on from, um, if not Randall, then Obi. Uh, guy like, and then you have like all these sleep, and then you yeah, like you have wings, and then I think. Chris Murray is an interesting point because you also have all of these like versatile power forwards that just do a bunch of crazy shit. Gigi Jackson defends like a guard. He's not even 18 yet. Uh, six, nine, uh, you know, Leonard Miller could have gone probably first round last year. He's in the G league showing out, you know, um, you know, so, is he and, shooting and, like shit on twos or something though? Uh, or is that like Braxton? No, I think he's Braxton. Said, wow. Definitely not Braxton Miller. <laughs> no, Braxton Miller, uh, he's a wide receiver. <laughs> he lost. Uh, the only other OS, there's only been two OSU QBs I've seen lose to Michigan. Shout out CJ Stroud, but Braxton Miller's the other one. Um, yeah, he's shooting 51% overall, 30% from three. I mean, he's a 6'11 tweener guy who's going to, like, he's a marinate guy. The point is, like, then you have even, like, Derek Whitehead is Duke's top recruit. Just a ho hum, 6'8, 6'6 guy um small forward so you have all of these dudes and um and then that's without even talking about guys like the thompson twins who are probably going to go above the knicks range but on on uh on tankathon osar thompson who's like phenomenal he's he's going ninth so the knicks are going to be in position to take some kind of high level wing if they do what they did last year i'll actually be really mad this time because there's a lot of guys who fit in i actually think jet is probably like the most immediate contributor. I think they're going to like the fact that his dad played in the NBA. I'm sure Wes is cool with Juwan and all that. Um, and um, and I think he just fits in like a glove until, into a, a nice compliment to Grimes and RJ. But um, but I'm curious, I, do, you, I, I, do you think that impacts yeah. the cam stuff? Uh, yeah, maybe. I think it might. I think... I also think they might just... Look, I, I just think there's basketball reasons to not play cam. Like, and... If he's the collateral damage of the organization finally picking like a path that that blends the desire to win now along with developing and prioritizing your young talent to a degree, then so fucking be it. Like I, I that sucks for him, and I think it speaks to a mismanagement of everything related to his situation. Um, but like. Maybe that situation and this overall start to the season is the kind of like wake up call, not a wake up call, but like it's an inflection point, right? Like decisions have to be brought to a head at a certain point, right? The critical points are reached and organizations, individuals, collective groups of people, it changes everything. And that Dallas game, the start of the season, felt like somewhat of an inflection point where it's like okay like what what are we doing here like what is the plan what are we what are we trying to be what are we prioritizing and what's the best way about doing this and like do i think that do i think that they made the decision to play these young guys and and put them all in the rotation because because um they're just so invested in developing young talent. No, I don't think so. But I think when that young talent 
has not just the production, but I would say the underlying impact that you like that you're looking for or that you you're projecting it to have, then they are comfortable going with that. And I'm okay with that. I am okay with looking to win basketball games. Because you know what? Winning basketball games is fun. It just needs to be a better process. And like that was the most annoying thing, right, for the last year and however many games to start this season, is like you're like, what? Why? The process here doesn't make any sense. Because you're trying to win ball games, but the guys that are actually probably going to help you win more ball games are your young dudes who you're not playing much or playing less than vets in their positions or not prioritizing or vets in their position. And now it feels like, like, it feels like it's a lot closer, at least, to that balance you need to strike. And if that is what ultimately is the reason to be like, they just can't. It's like, hey, Cam, like, would Cam? It would Cam really be cool with the Deuce McBride minutes, right? Because Deuce is playing like fifteen, seventeen, whatever minutes a game. I don't think Cam is cool with that. And on top of that. Deuce is a really good point of attack perimeter defender. You look at how much dribble penetration we're containing now compared to how it was to start the year. Obviously, that's not all on cam, but it's like, uh, what's that saying? A uh, rising tide raises all boats or whatever the fuck that saying that's is. That's exactly the saying. There we go. Well, you know, uh, you have that, you have that, you wake up to that every day. Let's not. No, the, the Don't only Don't pretend one... you didn't memorize it, Schwinn. You no, the only thing I wake up to every day is... Uh, a My great mother. wind, a great wow. wind carries me across the sky, <laughs> and all along, <laughs> um, all the while, <laughs> I go about and pity. Sometimes I go about and pity myself. Okay, I was gonna say if you pass up a golden your mother opportunity, yeah. it had to be a Sopranos reference. Yeah, so that makes sense. So, but like, like I think that is, if that's what it is, it is. That's what it is. You know, and I don't think I don't blame Cam if it's him. If like that was what they kind of had to offer him and he's like I want to get the fuck out of here because I'm in a contract here I want to play more minutes and showcase myself I don't blame him for that at all uh, I think the organization the front office down to Tibbs mismanaged that situation starting last year they could never carve out a role big enough for him and if that's what it is that's what it is fine so be it I do like the idea that I, and I, I do worry a little bit that maybe they do have a blind spot for these big wing types like maybe that is a something that they just don't place the right value on or maybe i don't want to say the right value that they just don't have the value on that that other organizations do right and and to be fair to that argument like you just having these long lengthy freakish dudes that doesn't make you a good basketball team you know like orlando's drafted these guys for fucking ever and only now does it feel like they have an actual core of young talent that's going somewhere. Toronto has a bunch they, of they people. have they have pretty much drafted exclusive like the the frustrating part is like the teams that have had success doing that, Toronto and Orlando come to mind, are just an assembly line of these six ten dudes. Orlando's done that, right? Yeah. Um so but they haven't had a lot of success. Then like and Yeah, but and you for, can see now a, a pretty talented you know, yeah, yeah now but like so I'm saying like but just having that be like your template doesn't guarantee success. That's true. Um, and like even Toronto, let's be honest, man. I've watched them; they look fucking whack. 
Scotty Barnes sucks. Fuck him. <laughs> Franz is better than him. Franz owns him. Franz is always again. Him. Franz is another long wing, but yeah. yeah. Well, because fr- Franz is better than him. Uh, but like no, but like I think I'm so happy that Scotty Barnes is struggling this year. Fuck him. Fuck Raptors <laughs> fans. He was such an overrated bum last year. One of the most fraudulent rookie of the year votes. Fuck him. Um, but like it's 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 just like I'm okay if they prioritize the ball skills and all that kind of stuff over just physical archetype, but you still need to find those guys. And I like to your point, like I wonder if just the dudes in this draft blend enough of like the skill stuff they're looking for on top of like addressing a physical profile we don't have. And maybe maybe that does play another thing. I have no clue. I have no idea about that. And I do think it's weird that people are like, well they don't care about the draft. Just based on like our rotation right now, I think that's bullshit. Um, but like, but that's that's also why. Like, what if I told you there was a guy averaging fifteen points uh, on sixty percent on twos, forty two percent from three, sixty eight percent on free throws? Let's forget about that. Two point three to point nine assist to turnover ratio, and he's six eight. Uh, and his dad played in the NBA for twenty years. Is that something you think this front office might be interested in? Well, what if I told you at a sixty? Yeah, I think they. That, and that's that. just another guy in this draft. Like they, right. you have, like this is just the the fucking in and out menu of um of um of wings. Like you I have mean, all I, of you can take your long, just fucking crazy potential. I, I kind of you have your polished like guys. Like Cam Whitmore is another one, you know. But like you have uh, the Thompson twins could fall. Who knows, right? Like I mean, I kind of like the like Jet Jet went to IMG, right? Yeah, like I, I these IMG guys are interesting to me always. Um, That's what happens when you have rich parents. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I mean, Anthony Simons was at IMG, yeah. right? He kind of he was like the first one of those dudes to like fall through the cracks, and obviously looks like a home run pick now for for Portland. But um, yeah, I mean, I I think yeah, Jed Howard, like you said, is just like a dude in this draft, and they have two first round picks. They might have three, although the Washington's fading fast now. Um, but I prefer that pick to convey later anyway but yeah i think two first round picks in this draft like that's a pretty decent situation and they're probably probably gonna i mean luca could always go on a tear so that's what happened last year right um yeah and and that's fine like like you mentioned like this draft is so deep like and and we've seen them parlay these like i can't wait this is gonna happen they're gonna be in the draft they're gonna have two first round picks they're definitely gonna make they're gonna make like multiple trades everybody's gonna freak out like i think they've earned the benefit of the draft and the doubt or and it Earned the benefit of the doubt in the draft, uh, just with how they handle it. I think yes, they traded out this past year. They got a lot of capital for it. Obviously, they achieved another goal with clearing cap space to get Brunson. Like again, they drafted like people freak out about the nineteenth pick thing, right? Yeah. Was it the best use of the asset? No, probably not. But guess what? They came into that draft with four picks. And they picked four guys. At the end of the day, they picked three four of them guys. are already rotation players. The right. other one is really good in Europe and probably going to be valued. So the other one is probably the best prospect in Spain right now. Like yeah. guard prospect in Spain, which is the second best league in the world. Like they left that draft with four guys and one future first. So like, yeah, did they burn the asset with Cam Reddish? But like, sure, fine. If you want to argue that, you want to be miserable about it, go for it. But like. They clearly have managed better. Uh, I do want to talk about this before we get out of here. I can't believe we went through this entire podcast without talking about 
RJ Barrett. Uh, RJ Barrett had himself a very nice game yesterday. I think he finished with 27 points, 9 rebounds, 6 assists. He played the entire second half. Uh, we got to see some RJ at the four minutes, which I enjoyed. And it is really funny to me that we might have three guys in this team that are best playing the four. Um, but, like, I I think this is interesting. This is just me. And, you know, people can say what they want to say. Skewing stat, stats, you're getting rid of the, the bad sample. For the first, like, 10 games of the year, RJ was like a 54 true shooting. Uh, that is, and then if, so if you basically eliminate that five games, miserable stretch he had, which was the first OKC game at home until the Phoenix game on the road, that's a five game stretch where he was absolute dog shit, just terrible on defense. And then offensively couldn't hit a shot before that. He was like 54 true shooting since then. He's like 56 true shooting average all that out. It's about 55 true shooting for the rest of the games that Four game, that five game sample was so bad that he's like all the way down to 51 and a half to shooting right now. Um, not to excuse any of that. He was terrible, even if he was sick, whatever. But like, I, I don't know. I think his process looks better to me now. Not great, not perfect, but it's definitely better. I, I just think like the fact that he's made an efficiency, like his efficiency, true shooting is basically the same as last year. And he's not shooting three well at all right now. Like, I think that's actually pretty encouraging. And he's making reads now in those last few games, the last stretch of games, that are way better. Passing reads, specifically, that are way better than what we saw to start the year. I mean, that was the stuff that we highlighted constantly as, like, pretty concerning. Like, more so than making and missing shots, is forcing shots instead of making easy reads, or the right reads, anyway. Uh, he had a pass yesterday to Deuce that was... Fucking awesome! Like no it, look it, offhand pass. Yeah, out the corner. Yeah, that that might be the best pass he's made all year, all career. Maybe it was it was a really really nice pass. Um, I I just think like, and maybe he was you know he got to be the man yesterday, right? Because Randall was out, so maybe that it changes how you operate in certain ways for the for best or worse. I just thought he looked really good yesterday, and again, not a perfect game, but. Definitely better. It looks like he's moving better to me on both ends of the floor. He's never going to be the most explosive guy. He's never going to be the greatest defender. I do think, I do hope he can get back to his second year level of defense, though, because if he did that, that would be pretty spectacular. Um, I just, I'm, I'm okay. I'm like, uh, I'm, I'm still at the point where it's like, I need him to not have weeks of endless amounts of bullshit, but like, I feel like at the end of the year, we're going to look back at that five-game stretch as an outlier versus what he does the rest of the way. Because aside from that five-game stretch, his efficiency has been a lot better. And that again, that's without like a significant three-point shooting hot stretch. The, the biggest sign of encouragement for me is he's at 80.6% now from the free throw line. That's fucking huge. Um, so, I don't know. I, I'm... I'm still like a little bit hesitant to be like, okay, he's back or he's better or whatever. But I do think there's stuff to there to be encouraged about. Yeah, I mean, I I have been um, I talked to you about this. I've been I haven't enjoyed RJ Barrett as much at all recently. Last night was a um, 
step in the right direction. I thought his process was much better. Um, but there's still more possessions than even with Julius Randle at this point, where he gets the ball quickly up, the, you know, right at the half court line, or he brings the ball up, and I'll just groan because there's so many times I'm just like, this isn't touch. No one else is going to touch the ball in this possession, are they? Uh, that does happen still, but um, but I think some of that is probably just um, residual residual trauma from the last stretch. I, I, I think what's worried me is that I've never felt like that about RJ before. He's had bouts of tunnel vision, but I always feel like he wasn't predictable. <clears throat> you know, sometimes he'd make the wrong read. This year, it just has at times felt like triple team, quadruple team, whatever it is. The shot is going up, and even against a single team, against good coverage, he often misses. Uh, I thought last night was better. Um, you know, perhaps he's getting his legs under him. But I also will say that, like, the thing is this, right? What are RJ's best traits? Well, his best trait is he can get two feet in the paint pretty much at will. Um, but he's not a great finisher. Um, he can hit open threes. Uh, and the other thing is that I think she thinks he's a high IQ player with good vision. Like I, I, you know, we we talk about him missing reads, but as that pass the deuce showed, and some of the other ones he's made over this last stretch, he had, he's had a few no look passes to the opposite corner. It proves that it's not like a guy who needs to. I'm not. This is not an opportunity to pick on Julius Randle, but a lot of Julius's reads, he has to get in the air, survey the floor, right? Like Julius is usually not two steps ahead of the defense, or if he is, it's because he knows the sequence. It's not kind of that in the moment. You know, imp- like almost like a soccer player. You can tell RJ Barrett played soccer because he has more of that improvisational skill where he's comfortable in that chaos. He just doesn't go to that. And I think like RJ's, when all is said and done, RJ's best asset might end up being his playmaking because he's never going to be a super efficient play finisher, um, at least not without kicking out more. And he's, I mean, he doesn't have the kind of step backs or the mid range game to like make him a, a true like ISO creator guy, like a top scoring option but what he can be really good is leveraging that ability to get to the paint into playmaking and as he leverages that more then his finishing will improve uh and i think that's really the key to kind of reversing some of these trends and um and i think that um and i think one thing that really got him going last game not this game but atlanta right um against atlanta i think i, I mentioned this as well he they ran a simple action where sims came and screened for him um, you know, at the um, at the elbow extended at the three point line, RJ comes around, gets the ball on the move, and gets Sims with an easy alley oop. Right when he gets the ball on the move, I think he's just so much more dangerous than when he has to create from just like the middle of the floor. Um, and um, and be, and it it also forces him to survey the floor and make reads. And I think he's actually he's a lot better at that than like you know, you just look at his stats or you look at some of his worst plays would indicate. I actually think he has good court vision and he has good feel. He just, you know, sometimes it's that he's not put in the position where, you know, if you're asked to just create from the middle of the floor, it becomes harder. And the other thing is, I think he needs to kind of um, embrace that a little bit more. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think what his floaters are, <coughs> I want to say they're like 45% or something this year. Really? I, I didn't know that. Yeah. I've seen a lot of ugly ones. So. I have, but those short floaters, he's definitely been much better than this year. Um, yeah. Especially when you like, I think the one that's good, he has like a mini dream shake that he uses yeah, to like yeah. set up a turnaround. And then also the one where the defender is clearly backing off and like, or you can get a shoulder into him. It's better than like when he's fading away or like, you know, it's. I don't know. I, I really like the, the attempted fadeaways over like, 
you know, Capella or something. <laughs> yeah, like Evan Mobley or something like that. Those are really good shots. No, like I, I think the the nice thing, and and I I genuinely think you, he deserves credit for this all season. Even when he has been struggling, and even when his shot selection hasn't been great, his shot selection isn't great because he's taking bad shots. But from the areas you're fine with him taking them from, right? I'm I'm not saying that's okay, but. He's not forcing shots. You're like, what the fuck are you doing? Like, he's not taking a bunch of like step back middies or like, you know what I mean? He's not trying to push the envelope in that way. I think he has a clear he's understanding. He's not being ball don't stop. Yeah, ball don't stop is never gonna like RJ for sure. Uh, <laughs> but like, I don't think that like he he's he's his struggles are not him figuring out what he's good at. It's him figuring out how to like optimize what he already knows he's good at. Right, he, you can tell he already knows his bread and butter is getting into the paint, getting into the paint, getting the line. Like that's his bread and butter. That's where his entire game. That's that's where the upside is for him. And I think he deserves credit for that because that shows like like we see this all the time, right? I, I think quickly has this too. Where like quickly is so excited to like try and show off new skills he's developed that you're like, yeah, it's great that you have these new things, but are you sure that like those are the things that? you need to be leaning on right now and they're not just like they're not just like tools you have in your toolbox when you really need it and i think rj has shown that like he's he knows what he's good at and what his game is predicated on he's focused on trying to maximize that has his decision making been great no has the defensive drop-off been significant absolutely i do think he's been better on defense the last few games um not to say he's been great he's I, i've highlighted even in those games some terrible stretches he's had but like Overall, you're talking about you know a guy that plays 35, 36, 37 minutes, 44 yesterday. There's a lot less brain farts happening. There's a lot less just like you know no resistance blow buys that he's giving up. He's actually had a good defensive game yesterday. I think he had what, like three steals and two blocks. Um, like he was active yesterday, and so you can deal with like okay, he misses a couple box outs when when he's doing that. And I thought his passing yesterday was on point. He still has some issues where he's not reading in pick and roll. He's just predetermining where his pass is going to go. Um, he had one against Charlotte where they came out of a timeout. And it's so funny because you can, you can tell that like Steve Clifford knows Tibbs so well because after two timeouts, one of them, he called a pick and roll for RJ. Clifford knew, like he knew it was coming. So they sat on it. They took away the lob and got, you know, they poked it away. They stole it. And then on another, they came out of a timeout. He ran a pick and roll for quickly. And he immediately had Plumley blitz it, which they hadn't been doing at all, and quickly turned it over. But it's just like it's really funny that a coach like he knows Tip so well, he knew exactly what those play calls were going to be. Um, but like, yeah, I mean, I, I think you're seeing more. Like he he's made a lot more kickouts lately on drives. He's had a lot more kick ahead passes in transition instead of just like trying to do it all himself. These are like the small things that like again, like you make good decisions in those little micro areas, they're going to manifest in better efficiency. They're going to, because you're just gonna make better decisions. You're gonna take less shitty shots, you're gonna force up less. And it, it also forces the defense to honor more shit, you know? Um but yeah, man, I, I, I can't like I with RJ and just I'm I'm not gonna lie, this is the happiest I've been with this team in fucking forever. Like they're they're playing fun competitive basketball 
with a lot of dudes they drafted, and they're fucking elite defense, apparently, with these guys. Um, they have the flexibility to make trades when needed. They have their own picks. They have a bunch of protected picks from other teams. I'm happy, man. I'm I'm very content with, with where the organization is currently. Does that mean that they don't have to make significant moves? And does that mean that I'm happy with everything that exists on the Knicks? Coaching staff, players, whatever? No, it, it doesn't. But, like, I can live with this for this season. I'm happy to live with this for this season. I think this is fun. Um, it feels like a team that actually has a direction. And it's and it's a team that you're going to actually find out a lot about these young guys. You're going to find out how they react in different situations. You're going to find out how they play together because the nature of the nine-man lineup is you're going to see more mix and matching, even with Tibbs. And that's just really encouraging to me. What do you think? What, what was what was your favorite game from last season? If you had to pick two favorites. The Miami game. The Miami game and probably the... Either the Charlotte game or the Bulls game at the end, all towards the end of the season. So Miami game was probably my favorite. The other one I'm going to mention is the Clippers game. Mm, yeah, that was really good too. Uh, that Clippers game was these guys. It was Sims. Um, it, it also did have Cam, and Cam. I will note that Cam played a pretty significant role. But that was really they outscored him 36 to four over a long stretch, and the four was probably more impressive than 36 because it was all McBride, Grimes, and that's really when you saw what this could be and i mean like they have an that's a real identity right yeah. like McBride, grimes and iq just terrorizing ball handlers sometimes they're gonna get beat fine um it feels like identity. it feels like a better idea it feels like they they went back to the identity of what they had in 2020 2021 but they're but doing with better it, players <laughs> yeah with better players with more talent and you're doing it with guys that can be part of your core for a while um, and, and I think the key to this, the biggest key to this, okay, you figured out an identity and it's predicated on these young dudes, whatever. And obviously you still have Brunson, you have Randall and Brunson has been awesome. Randall has been really improved offensively. Okay. That's all great. But like, this needs to inform your roster management moving forward, right? Because one of the mistakes, and I don't think, I, I don't like ripping on them for this as much as other people do. I think it's kind of bullshit. But, like, one of the mistakes they made after that season was it wasn't to try to keep the momentum going, but I think they undervalued, like, okay, it's great that Kemba can take off the dribble threes. It's great that Fournier is a better offensive player than Bullock. How do these guys fit around? If you're going to be building with RJ and Julius, how do they actually complement them? And not just offensively, but defensively. And... I think they undervalued what that drop-off would. I know I did. Um, I think a lot of people did. So, okay, you, you figured that piece out right now. So now, right, in the offseason, you want to make a big move? Fine. But you got to make moves for guys that fit into that type of, like, ethos and identity that you have set up. And it's hard, but you have to stay disciplined, I think. And, like, not not compromise on fundamental elements of who you are organizationally like with your roster and your team. Yeah. Um, so we'll see. I mean, I don't know. Like, you know, it's just interesting to think about like what guys fit that. And obviously like, you know, it's not, it, it's, it's, it's sports, right? Like you can't be 
you can't pass up on talent at a certain point because it doesn't fit like the perfect archetype of what you want. But like, you know, I, and I, I also think this like with Brunson being here now, I actually am more comfortable and like seeing what that looks like, right? Seeing just how he plays and all this. I'm like a lot. I would be a lot more comfortable taking a big swing on a star or whatever, um, depending on who it is. But like, I'm more comfortable with that type of trade now because we have Brunson. I think the, like there's a there's a difference there in the calculus now um, with him in the mix. Yeah, um, I think they they have some options. Um, and if Randall is and to tell you what, Brunson hasn't been great the last few games. We didn't talk much about it, but. Um, I think it started maybe maybe the ankle was already hurt. Um, I thought against Atlanta, he really struggled with the length of Capella. Uh, he's not the first guard too. Um, but um, but there were times where even I was like, you know, maybe they should be running more stuff through Randall, and, and it worked, right? So they have some options, and, and even I mean, shit, if Randall gets it together, I know given what we talked about, neither of us is super high on that. But you know, maybe maybe you can look at moving Obi, right? Or maybe um, maybe you turn him into a, a project for with more defensive potential, right? More of that mold. Um, or maybe you maybe Randall recoups enough value where you can get a first or two, and you realize that you know Randall can help another team more immediately towards championship. We can use that. They have some some options and some flexibility, which you know there's a certain you know everyone wanted us to. To trade for Donovan Mitchell, one thing they definitely would not have had is options and flexibility. And I, I get that that is very frustrating to people who want immediate results, who said we've had options and flexibility in theory for a long time. We had options and flexibility when we thought we were going to get KD and Kyrie uh, and Zion <laughs> to boot, right? Uh, and that didn't pay off. But, um, but I mean, I think it's probably this front office hasn't been perfect, but it's not flexibility in the sense that because we have no direction, we can do anything, right? Like, it's like the Cheshire Cat and Alice in Wonderland. If you don't know where we want to go, that doesn't matter, right? That's not what the situation is with the Knicks. The Knicks have some assets. They have some tools in the chest. Um, you know, they're not um, overflowing with, with wealth, but they're in a, they're in a decent spot, and they're going to have options, and, and that's, um, that's something to be optimistic about. And in the meantime, I think they have a pretty fun group of guys that it's going to be enjoyable to watch them continue to grow and even if they lose, um, make life hell on other opposing. Like I'll tell you what, after just resigning myself and looking every time we played someone like Reggie Jackson, you know, let alone like a Donovan Mitchell or something, just resigning myself to man, this guy's going to drop twenty on us at least. I was like, all right, I want to see, I want to see you handle Deuce. I want to see you handle quickly. I want to see you handle Grimes. Uh, we can actually do that, and I don't think I felt that way consistently in a long, long time about the Knicks. Not even in twenty twenty. I mean, the only time I really felt like, shit, I want to go to war with this team on defense and see them just make life miserable for other teams is, oh, some old heads are going to kill me. But yeah, the days of Chris Childs and Charlie Ward and Derek Harper and all those guys, right? So, um, Yeah, I mean, it's, it's been a long time. But yeah, I mean, I think the most interesting part of this is like the cool part of this is like it's conceivable all these guys could get better on defense like that that's very much on the table here right because maybe not mitch i mean i think even mitch but like rj's in year four grimes is year two quickly's year three deuce is year two 
Obi's year three. Like, I don't know. It's like defense is one of those things where it's hard to know when a guy stops improving, but like it's very conceivable they do improve on it. I mean, it's very conceivable they improve on both ends, all those guys. So, yeah, this is like a fun situation. And, you know, we talked about the Julius thing earlier. I still think that like, I'll put it this way. They they probably have won their gamble that Julius could play him back to play himself back into being a better trade asset, but it's on them to like be disciplined and still trade him. Because and and this doesn't need to mean that you think Obi is the four of the future or something, but like I don't know. I just can't get my I can't especially after yesterday, I just really can't I don't know. I, I just don't know how you trust that guy. So I would still try to trade him. And if they they don't pass a trade on it, or they pass up on a trade for him, that's a pretty big bet they have to make. But anyway, that's their call. Uh, we'll see what they end up doing. Um, all right, I think that's a good place to end it. Unless there's anything you want to discuss before we get out of here. Forty-eight twenty-two, baby. All right, I'm sure that half of our listeners will be very thrilled to hear about that. Um, I will not talk about the Bills game because I respect our listeners. Uh, that is our pod for today. Uh, Stacy, let the people know they can find you and plug anything that you'd like to plug. Uh, yeah, Stacy Patton 89 on Twitter. Um, if you liked the draft talk today, uh, a lot of smarter people than me are writing a pretty big piece. Uh, I think it should drop this week. Prez is like heading that. But we're gonna do a preliminary. We're doing a part one on a bunch of prospects. They're gonna be wings and kind of some of the guys in the Knicks range. Um, I think Prez himself is kind of like there's no point in talking about Wembenyama. He's gonna break basketball the end. So it'll be more in depth on probably some of the prospects that are more realistic for the Knicks. And then there'll be a part two probably a week or so after that. So keep your eye out for that. Um, the Knicks are doing better, but that doesn't mean we can't have an eye on the draft as well. And uh, yeah, that's all I'll plug. And in general, just follow everything on the Strickland uh, and the draft stuff is going to heat up and um, you know, you don't have to ask either of us about how, uh, how locked in and uh, how great of a resource Prez is on, on a lot of that stuff. And, and I'm going to do my best to chip in my two cents as well. Um, nice. Look forward to that. I have nothing to plug. So uh, I am going to plug that. Um, all I'll say is that I think it's really funny that, this team was seen as hopeless, purgatory, whatever the fuck, no man's land, all those fun verb, all the fun verbiage that people like to throw around about the Knicks. Pretty amazing what happens with a few rotation changes. Uh, certain rotation changes that... But who could have seen this coming? I mean, were who, you saying this last year? Who could have seen the potential... It's not even like, who cares? That was always the argument, right? It's like, who cares? If it doesn't happen and these guys suck, then we know that now. Instead of living in this world where we're like, well, maybe they suck, but but maybe they're not. But also, like, we're not going to try because the vets are definitely better. This stupid shit. All right, anyway, we're going to end it there. Uh, that is our pod for today. I hope everybody has a great week. I have nothing to plug, so I will just plug all the great stuff that is happening at the Strickland, articles, podcasts, you name it. We got it. Uh, again, that is our show for today. hope everybody has a great week, and I will see you on Friday.
You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.